Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? The comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. After a slight delay, Graham McMillan and I are back for episode 83, just a shade more than two hours and 25 minutes of comic book reviews, gossip, and shop talk. We do our best to cover a lot of ground this time around, including Iron Muslim and Zombies vs. Fanboys from Boom Comics, Kirby Genesis, the current state of comics and the comics internet, including Chris Robertson quitting DC and David Brothers' amazing article over in Comics Alliance, before Watchmen, Grant Morrison, Brian Bendis in Avengers Assemble No. 2, as well as the oral history of the Avengers, the eighth issues of Wonder Woman, Justice League, OMAC, and Batman, Casanova No. 3, The Shadow No. 1, The Boys by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson, Alabaster Wolves, Saga No. 2, Archie Meets Kiss, Prophet No. 24, more issues of Glamourpus by Dave Sim, and, believe it or not, much, much more. Thanks for your patience while we were away, and as always, we hope you enjoy. Jeff Lester, are you there? Graham McMillan, I am here. Awesome! The reason I'm so excited when I'm asking is you rang while my headset wasn't plugged in. <laughs> and so I plugged it in and answered, and I couldn't hear it. Like, the sound wasn't working on my headset. I didn't hear it ringing. I just saw that you're ringing, and I was like, this could go horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> it worked! I can it, hear you. You it, can hear me. Technology, thank you. Yes, although I still have expected all to go wrong because I, uh... I, my poor trooper of a, a netbook, which normally does everything fine, has been so draggy and unable to take care of anything in the process of trying to get in touch with you that I have closed down both my web browser and my usual uh, note-taking program uh, to fly blind, as it were, just because I was that worried that, that the laptop was going to die on me. And well, it still might. Do you want me to add to your potential technical woes please for some reason our our internet has been cutting out randomly in the last couple of days <laughs> so i might just suddenly disappear on you well that's great it's, it's been fine today but definitely uh, at this the beginning of this week mm-hmm. there's been times where kate and i have both for no reason whatsoever lost connection to our wi-fi only one of us huh so like he'll be like do you still have the internet? And I'm like, sure. She says, I, my computer isn't even showing her Wi-Fi anymore. And the same things happened to me. Wow. It's really weird. That is weird. Hmm. I'm tempted to say that there's some sort of problem going on with your server, but uh, I wouldn't know. I, 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 I mean, we restart the router and it's fine. Huh. huh. Yeah, it's really, really odd. Hmm. Anyway, hello. Hello. <laughs> Long time no talk to. You sound fit as a fiddle or whatever. Uh, I, I'm, I am much fitter than I was this time last week. Put it that way. Yeah, Listeners, much- everyone who's mad at us for not having a <laughs> podcast last week, um, I had the flu, which I, thinking back, I'm really, really amused about. Not because the flu is funny, because the flu is really not funny. It's really, really not funny. Um but because the week before that, I was like, I'm going to be, nothing's going to happen. I'm definitely going to, you know, read comics and be here next week to talk about them. And I say something like, that's the Graham McMillan promise. <laughs> you did. And then you like two right. days later, I'm at, the, I'm at the doctor. The doctor's like, you have influenza. You actually really do. Influenza? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. No, this wasn't like the, I have a bad cold flu. This was mm-hmm. the doctor telling me I had influenza. Graham, how the fuck can you catch influenza? That was that was my response. My like, I felt embarrassed about it. I was like, "Who the fuck gets influenza?" It was like the doctors were like, "You have the lurky." Yes. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Um, yeah, I Kate, Kate and I had influenza. Wow. 
dude, well, I'm glad you're okay. That chick can really fuck people up. It really fucked Kate up. I don't know if you remember, but after we recorded last time mm-hmm. I spoke to you, mm-hmm. um, I was like, Kate, really sick. Yeah, I don't don't know what's going on. Uh, she got so sick that day that like her fever peaked at about 103. Fuck. Um, and she couldn't do anything. Like, yeah. lying down was causing her pain. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Uh, I'd never got that bad. Mm-hmm. But I, I got... I got bad enough that, you know, we couldn't have had this length of conversation without me breaking down and having a coughing fit probably twice. Wow. That that was the real <clears throat> problem. The real problem was that I was imagining if we tried to do a podcast, mm-hmm. I would have either had to keep putting myself on mute to cough mm-hmm. or I wouldn't have been able to say anything past like two sentences. Man. So I'm still baffled. Was this like – was it the finale of Downton Abbey? Was that what got you guys? I mean was- – I, I, I really don't know. Um, at first, I thought it was we, – we went to a thing for a, a friend at the beginning of the week. And because just the doctors were like, well, it's flu season that's hit Portland in the last couple of weeks. So if you've been out at anything, you, you literally might just have got something. Right. Um, and we were at something at the beginning of that week with lots of people. And it's we were, first we were like, well, it's probably that. And then someone on Twitter said something about the fact that er- most people who'd been to Emerald City had caught con flu. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, last week I went, like, I was hanging out with Paul and Colleen and Chris Robertson and Alison Baker and everyone before they went to Emerald City. Mm-hmm. So if one of them had something before the convention, mm-hmm. it could have been from them. Right. I don't know. We, I have, I have no idea how we got it. I just know that we were actually put on quarantine. Quarantine. I can't we, believe it. That's... Actually, we were actually told like you two are infectious for the next five days. So basically, don't talk to anyone. <laughs> and so we had like neighbors come to the door and being like, "Hey, happy Easter! Do you want to come and do this?" We were like, "You can't even come in. Don't even get near us." <laughs> Yeah, seriously, it was it was really surreal. Looking back on it, it's almost funny, but yeah. the time we were, I, Kate especially, was just like, "I am dying. Oh I, am, I am completely dying." That is just terrible. I am so sorry. I'm glad you guys ha- are uh, mended or at least on the mend. Cause yeah, that's I, I, terrible. I still occasionally cough. I'll put it on mute. No one will know. Um, hilariously, I was at a political event last night. At the, uh, the Portland, there's a new mayoral. May oral race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was at a, a debate last Oh, wow. Uh, and the people we went with were coughing, and we were like, Have you got the flu too? And they're like, No, we've got an entirely different virus. And so Kate and I are now convinced that we're going to get that just because we're still not 100%. Sure, it. yeah. I'm like, Yeah, you guys should play it safe and maybe stay the in other, the house for the this. Other thing the that was hilarious when they told us we had the flu, mm-hmm. they said, You've probably got the flu, but there's another virus going around that presents like the flu. And the doctor was spectacular. The doctor said, the way you'll know that you've not got the flu and you have this other virus is the other virus presents like the flu, except it also has diarrhea as a symptom. Oh, Jesus. So if you develop diarrhea, you'll know it's not the flu. It's this other virus. And they were so upbeat telling me. And They're was, like, isn't that great? I was like, so what you're telling me is I feel like shit. And then if I start just having terrible shits, it's not because I've got the flu. Thanks for that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, my goodness, sir. Uh, I got to tell you. Here you go. So, yeah, listeners, sorry. I really was not in a a good place to do a podcast last week. (laughs) 
Even though I gave you the Graham McMillan promise, <laughs> yes, oh, is worthless. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's acts of God and unintentionally uh, you know. worthless, but it ended up being completely worthless. Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, well, but on the plus side, you've had all this time to lay about and read comics, right? I have actually read comics. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. It's it's stunning. Here's the funny thing. Yes. Uh, did you go to the store yesterday? I did. Did you find many things that you wanted to read? Or were you like me and being like, huh? Yeah, I actually had to work. I, well, I, that's not entirely true. Well, yeah, there was... I, see, this I, is the thing. I, Since, I felt completely uninspired. Yeah. Well, for me, what it is is now that I'm... Since I'm not buying Marvel Comics at all, it, it's kind of like I, I spend a lot more time at the store trying to find extra... Hustle extra stuff to read anyway, because otherwise, you know, my already skimpy reading list would have been super skimpy. So I did make it a point to pick up a few extra books, including some things that I was like... I don't think I would have picked up during... Tell me you picked up Iron Muslim. I want to, just so that I can hear you say Muslim again. But uh, I, no- I read it. And? It's terrible. <laughs> so, for dear listeners who, who don't know this, Rich Johnson, who does Bleeding Cool, um, is doing a series called The Avengefuls for Boom Studios, which is a series of parodies of the various Avengers. Iron Muslim is the first one, and it is... Everything you'd expect from that title, mm-hmm. but so much less. Oh dear! It's it's fucking appalling. Really? It is the laziest parody mm. you could imagine. Well, did and you I ever read Civil chess. Wardrobe or whatever? Like, yes, yeah, Civil Wardrobe looks subtle compared with Iron Man. Wow. Okay. Wow. It's 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 fucking appalling. Ugh. Really, really, really horrible. It's hilarious. I picked up that and I picked up um, Fanboys versus Zombies. Oh, wow. You picked that up as well. Yeah, and that's that looks a lot better in comparison. But that is <laughs> you're just like, oh, they're just taking the piss. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both really not very good comics. Mm. Um, and it kind of makes me sad for Boom. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're kind of like, oh, you guys are just like throwing shit at the wall hoping that it gets some form of weird mainstream media sales bump. Yeah, I th- I think that's not uh I think that's probably pretty close to the bone. I don't know. It it's I almost feel that since Boom has you know, 2-3 years ago it kind of hit that rocket launch of really jumping in with more licensed titles and, you know, Mark Wade's books really taking off. Mm-hmm. Um and then now that the Wade's books are gone and there was a huge chunk of their licensed titles that got you know, transferred over to Marvel, essentially. Or, or just ended. They had the Stan Lee books, which all of them lasted a year. Wow. And then that was it, huh? And then that was it, which is kind of amazing. Cause, I mean, do you remember the hype of the launch? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of, the, all of them cancelled after 12 issues. Yeah, there must have been some weird some, some weird financial hokey-pokiness happening there. You know what I mean? Because, like, I even remember where... Um, like you could see, I don't remember what it was. It was like one of the the 
sprint tablets or something like that. They had a comics reader, like this was just in like a print or a TV ad that I saw on Hulu or something. And they had a shot of, what is it, Starborn or something like that, you know, yeah. as one of the title screens. And it's like, okay, that's the sort of promo niche-ness that costs somebody some money somewhere, you know? Yeah. Um, unless it's just some, some one guy doing a, a, a favor for a friend or something. Well, but it, which is always possible. But still, I mean, yeah. they, they got a lot of hype. And the thing is, they were all pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, the, God, Soldier Zero, I think the Paul Cornell one that ended up being Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, right. was, was the weakest. Mm-hmm. But Starborn and mm-hmm. uh, The Traveler were both pretty good books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I read a few sort of loose issues of them, as I recall. I don't remember where or how, uh, but uh, they 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 seemed they seemed competent. They they weren't necessarily something that looked like I, I was going to jump in on them necessarily. But <laughs> again, okay. there are things that I ended up reading in trade and read a lot better in chunks. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I remember I read the because I read the first issues of all of them as first issues, mm-hmm. and then I went back and read all of them in the first trade, which is the first four. Mm-hmm. And they all read so much better, and I was like, "This is great! I'm totally going to get the Traveler and Starboard and single issues." And then I got them single issues for the fifth issue, and thought, "Huh, I'm going to wait for the next trade." Because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that they were noticeably worse; it's that mm-hmm. they just didn't work as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that happened. That that's true for a lot of Boom Books. The Kurt Busiek Dracula series mm. read really well in collection and did not read really well in single issues. Interesting. Well, I never made it to the end of the Kirby Genesis stuff from Dynamite. Uh, now that I think about it, um, that's huh. that's still going ongoing. Has to be. Is it? How yes. many issues is it? Like, Six, because it went horrifically off schedule. I was about to say, dude, that should have wrapped up months ago. <laughs> yeah, no, no, the, the, like the Dynamites have, have come out and said that publicly. They're like, yeah, that shit's just gone horribly off. Okay. Um, and they said something along the lines of, "We're going to do more, but we're going to finish it first. Mm-hmm. So then it can come out monthly. It, it, it was one, right. might even have been at C two E two where they said mm-hmm. that, but they pretty much just came out and said, "Yeah, that's that's gone horribly off uh, schedule." Yeah, and seriously. so at the end of the first series, we're just like pulling it until we we know we can do it properly. But I mean, Car Music, if nothing else, has been going through medical hell. If you've been following them on Twitter, I I have, but do you, do you actually know why? I mean, I just see that he's <clears throat> sort of saying like, "Well, here I am in you know ER, and here I am eating hospital food." And- yeah, he's, he's, I I don't know anything beyond what he said on Twitter, but he seems to have essentially been living in the hospital at least for the last two weeks. Yeah, at least. So I'm kind of like, holy God. I mean, you know, I hope he's okay, and I have you know. That can't be good for the schedule, I'm sure. So, yeah, I wonder, but I had no idea, and I was kind of like, okay, it's one of those things where it's like you don't actually, I don't Twitter anything back and forth with Kurt Busiek, so it would be kind of weird for me to be like, hey, sorry to hear it, what the hell's wrong, you know? Exactly, hey, you're sick, but listen, Kirby Kirby Genesis, that's going to finish soon, right? (laughs) That would be I wouldn't be that much of a dick, that would be great. (laughs) Hey, hope you're feeling better, but listen, you got to tell me, like, Kirby, he's totally possessed by the spirit of the blue dinosaur, right? Yeah, yeah. Come on, you just, just, just send me an emoticon. Nothing big. <laughs> oh man, that would be. But no, I mean, it, it disappeared for like three or four months because okay. it, it was doing really well, and then all of a sudden, it just because I was like, "Have I missed an issue?" And then I was like, "Oh no, issue six has just come out." I guess it's just really late. That's interesting because I made it through like. It's like one I like to it in three. Four or something. 
yeah, I'm, I was up to four. I was really close to it. So yeah, you could pretty yeah. much go back and pick up the last couple of issues, and you're oh, fine. God. I'm not. I'm not even sure that's a good. Well, I mean, part of me was like, don't get me wrong. I quit because I was like, I just didn't feel like it was panning together. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I just, think that's another one that might work better in collection. Well, uh, that's yeah, exactly. Because it's it is one of those things where like I'm enjoying them as single issues when they come out. Mm-hmm. But when I'm like, I'm going to read them all in a wonder and see how it holds together, I always go, oh, that that's much better th- than I thought it was. Right, right. Yeah, interestingly enough, I saw at the at the back issue of uh, the first issue of The Shadow, it said, a special look inside Kirby Genesis number six. And I was kind of like, what? Yeah, that's because uh, that just came out last week. Okay, well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not that they're, they're really seriously behind it. It's that, or rather, it is that they're really seriously behind in putting the issues out and not that the previews are really seriously behind. Wow. Okay. Right. Exactly. Like, that would be great. Coming up soon, Prez number one. Um, also talk about uh, promos in the shadow. The panther thing in the back cover, does that not just make you sad to read comics? You know, I, there's just something about that advert in particular. I'm just like, oh, God, I'm embarrassed. You know, this is the thing. Like, I had, I had like, the weirdly opposite reaction you're like panther i was like that's a nice logo but you know i seriously i just kind of i kind of had that moment i didn't i didn't really acknowledge it one way or the other i mean you know i mean other than like oh hey that's a nice logo and part of me was sort of like huh well it's great that the other non-vampirella characters are getting out there right because that's panther isn't she like a a vampirella yes um companion character yeah so I mean I don't know I, it, there's 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 never been a better time to feel lousy about the comics industry in some ways oh, you know yes yeah oh, <laughs> oh yes I have I have been feeling really down on the comics internet I, oh really yeah, yeah really down on it. Uh, I actually feel a bit better about it today because Chris Robertson did his I'm not going to write for DC anymore. Uh, I'm disagreeing with what they're with with basically with their business practices, um, and you know here's David Brother's piece and this illustrates it. And what makes me feel better is after you get all the idiots being like, "Well, fuck you," you got a second wave of people being like, "Back the fuck off!" Like he's yes. standing up for what he believes in. That's a good thing. Yes, you know that that made me feel a lot better. But at the same time, I got really upset that they came out for that, and yet yesterday. People on Twitter were like, this is how much Darwin Cook is getting paid for before Watchmen. That's how much his soul costs. And that really upsets me. <laughs> you know, because it's the same people. The same people who are like, hey, back off. He's doing what he thinks is right. Are the same people who are like, it only costs X amount of money for Darwin Cook to sell his soul. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's the same, like, it's the same thing. Why do they not see that they are being the dicks in this other occasion? Well, do you know what I mean? Well, let's see here. Um, my thing is, I, what I would say is, is that the the people who are doing that don't necessarily believe in the, I guess, the true neutrality concept that you seem to be sort of espousing. I think they actually believe that, uh, you know, David Brothers and Chris Robertson are doing things that are right, um, and Darwin Cook is doing something that is wrong. Sure, but first of all, that's fine as far as it goes, but then saying, then accusing someone of selling their soul 
mm-hmm. feels a bit extreme. But <laughs> the part that really, the part that really upset me though was the basically saying you sold your soul for that amount of money. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, because it suggests a he should have held out for more, mm-hmm. and b just the idea of like spreading about the figure, even if it's mm-hmm. true. What what is the figure, if you don't mind me asking? Four hundred thousand dollars. I'm nosy. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's yeah, that's um, that is actually more than I thought. Because at some point there was like a two hundred and fifty k number rolling around, and I'm like, uh, it's not that little, you know. But uh, but at the same time, I don't know. I just I don't, I really have a. That's nobody's business. Like, oh, that, it so totally isn't. Nobody, yeah, I mean that that's also, a, that's a huge there's thing. There's just something about like the idea of. You sold out for that amount of money just strikes me as like as wrong on multiple levels. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. then seeing the same people turn around and being like, "Back off, a guy for making a decision and following his own principles." I right. don't know. It just seems so insanely contradictory. Well, but hmm, but again, and I don't mean to, but like I said, these are people for whom they believe that somebody's acting. One person's acting on their principles, and the other person isn't. I mean, I. I, I see why you're frustrated. Don't get me wrong. And, um, uh, you know, it's interesting because I, I, you know, since we hadn't spoken for a couple of weeks, I'm like, okay, well, we're definitely going to have to talk about the C2E2 before Watchmen um, panel because that just struck me as, as, as DC doing a fucking phenomenal job of undoing every bit of good marketing that, Probably had been done mostly by Rich Johnston leading up to that panel. You well, know what, what I mean? What was fascinating was also before that panel, you were seeing Darwin Cook and to a lesser extent Brian Nazarello, but definitely Darwin Cook, essentially try and do interviews where he's marketing to the haters. Yes. You're seeing him do a lot of interviews where he's he's saying, I thought it was a terrible idea as well, but then I came up with this idea. Do you know, yes. and really framing it as there is a story version there is a story reason that I'm doing this as mm-hmm. a concept I too find it abhorrent which I thought mm-hmm. was a really smart thing of DC to do and then you have the panel and it's just like oh god <laughs> <laughs> you were doing so well and now you're not well because I think that may well have been Darwin Cook's own spin control on it you I, know I, what I, I mean it definitely could I, I mean, well it's one of these things I think every, Darwin Cook and to a lesser extent um Amanda Connor, because mm-hmm. I don't think the artists are getting the same amount of invective that the writers are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the two of them were the, the creators that people were really surprised were involved. If that makes oh, sense, yeah. the ones totally because I think everyone else to an extent they were like, well, they're just horrors. But the, the Darwin <laughs> Cook's involvement had people been like, what? He's a horror as well. And so it, it was interesting to see Darwin Cook essentially give Reese what he's like. You know, maybe I am a whore, but I'm not only a whore. Right. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all the goodwill I felt that they were getting from those interviews, which wasn't a lot, because the people who have decided that they hate this project and it's terrible aren't going to change their mind. Mm-hmm. Like, these could be the greatest comics that have ever been made. Oh, yeah. And everyone who is a hater will still be a hater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just... That's just decided at this point. But the small amount of goodwill that those interviews earned were immediately wiped out mm-hmm. by C2E2. 
Oh yeah, like thoroughly, like seriously, like that. That clearly was <laughs> like if this were like a John Grisham novel, and it turned out that J. Michael Straczynski was actually in the employ of Alan Moore as like a stealth destructo agent from inside the house. It, it's going to get worse, is the thing, mm-hmm. because this weekend, and I don't think this is public knowledge yet, but um, I keep getting PR interviews about it. Uh, great, Jim Lee and Dan DiDio are making an appearance at the LA festival of books to talk about before Watchmen and here's the part that's fascinating they're Mm -hmm. being interviewed by Steve Niles who is there to quote give the fan perspective wow what the fuck I know and that's just going to be carnage that's going to be fucking horrible even if they control every single thing that is said it's going to come off so badly Mm. that it's just going to blow up in their faces wow holy crap Wow, that's really interesting. I wonder if they'll cancel on that one at the last minute. Uh, if they, I don't think they will because uh, definitely the PR I've been getting mm-hmm. has been incredibly triumphant about it. <laughs> Seriously, the PR, the PR is basically, this is spectacular. This is so great. We can't tell you how excited we are. It's sure. great. But I don't know. Also, interestingly enough, that PR is not coming from DC. Oh, really? Yep. It's coming from, it's coming from, the, from the organizers. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It may be because DC's PR is going through changes with David Hyde leaving. Oh, is David Hyde leaving? David Hyde has, has announced he is gone with it, like, really soon. Like, huh. I, think, I think he's there for a few more days, and then he's gone. Wow. Uh, huh. Which is kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Because I mean, come on. just promoted to a VP, like, six months ago or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder, if, I wonder what's happening there. Uh, he's gone, uh, which is someone I think on Bleeding Cool pointed out, is the third high-profile quitting of a, a DC uh, PR person in the last year. And apparently he's not the only one who's going at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah. So that will be fascinating to see what's happened. And it's not like he's going because they've got someone else lined up. No. Because there's job postings for this now available. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's going to be fascinating. Also, if I, was a, if I were a rich man, uh, I would bum, 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 be bum, reaching bum, out to David Hyde and being like, if you want to do a tell-all. Oh, yeah. That would be great. <laughs> See, that's, that's really what we need. We need some serious, like, sun money here so that, we, you know, we can get, like, websites actually being, you know, saying, like, oh, yeah, you know. I was there and Dan DiDrio was drunk and he cornered me in the hall and said, you better sell this son of a bitch or I'll make you pay. Well, you know what's kind of spectacular? The job listing for his job for, for the VP of PR uh-huh. actually says that one of the duties is to work with editorial to come up with storylines for the DC Comics. What? Wow. Graham, you should put in for that title, baby. Yeah, yeah that's that's the job I want. For so many reasons, <laughs> that's the job I want. Well, I, I think actually there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that um, actually you could help you sell it. You know, <laughs> like you've got a much more open mind about Before Watchmen than I do. You could probably like you know carry that off. You could come up with some really good ideas for you know future storylines. You could probably get the Superman books, you know, on track. I, I, all I'm saying is this. I am not against Before Watchmen like I think everyone else on the comics internet is. That doesn't mean I want to sell Before Watchmen. 
there's a difference between being ambivalent towards it and wanting to hype it. Okay. All right. That's, I appreciate you clarifying because I'm very much like, like you're talking about all this stuff. I'm like, Graham knows he's talking to a hater. So I'm, how am I going to continue to be a gentleman hater throughout this conversation? You know, because of course I was actually quite pleased and impressed. Uh, well, I, I, I was, I was really impressed at how badly J. Michael Straczynski shot himself like in the foot. And what was great was DC's head was underneath his foot when he shot it. Yeah. Uh, so, regards- one should definitely stop J. Michael Straczynski from talking to anyone. Oh, man. I mean, he really, was- every single time he does it for whatever projects. Yeah. He manages just to say the wrong thing. Yeah. It, yeah. it is it- kind of amazing. I, the funny mm-hmm. thing is, you look back and he's been doing this always. I mean, remember when he left Marvel? And he's mm-hmm. like, I'll tell you what happened with one more day. Yes. And you basically had Marvel being like, shut the fuck up. What? Stop yes. Talking. But you know what? The great thing about that was, A, I sort of dug that and it made sense. Oh, no, I, I that, You know what I mean? Too. Yeah. But he'd imagine? also been at the company for six years and had done a pretty good job of keeping his trap shut. You know what I mean? Like he, maybe I'm wrong, but it was like six years of Straczynski where he's basically like, he did everything, you know, the company way and the closest it it came was, was, yes. It was six years of Straczynski getting to do whatever he wanted. Well, there's that too. Well, I don't know. I, hopefully he wanted to do everything that he wanted. I'm not entirely sure that, you know, if someone came to him and was like, we really want you to do, you know, your last two years of Spider-Man inextricably tied up. With Civil War. <laughs> Civil War and with your character's identity exposed, you know? Like, I'm not really sure that that was, like, really what he wanted to do, you know? But anyway, but, you know, or even the stuff with, like, for example, Thor. I think he walked in, he did Thor. I don't necessarily remind him, like, managing to stir up everyone in a negative way. In fact, people were kind of like, hey, I really like this book, you know? Sure, but as, as soon as he left... As soon as, mm-hmm. he, as soon as he left Thor, do you remember he was very open and being like, they promised me that I could do whatever I wanted with Thor, and then they wanted him for a crossover, so fuck them! <laughs> like, that was pretty much the first thing he did when he announced that he was leaving Thor. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think that's his whole, like, I think he's on very much on a, like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to say whatever now campaign, and I do not think that that is... I'm fascinated, like I said, I'm just fascinated that the guy who's actually trying to, you know, finesse before Watchmen into a sellable thing is actually pulling the whole, like, oh, yeah, we all get fucked by contracts. (laughs) Who hasn't been fucked in this business? Yeah, really. The weird thing is, like, I can kind of see what he's saying, but it's like, that's not okay. Like, if your defense is, so we're all fucked, so why does it matter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, like, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of agree with you that, you know, everyone sure. gets fucked, but I also don't think that's a defense. Well, I mean, but it is the way it's, you know, I, I and this is the weird thing that it, that I honestly think that that is the way that anyone who does work for hire for the big two, like, if you question them about it, like, I don't think that, you know what I mean? Like, if you push them far enough, they're just kind of like, look, hey, it doesn't really have anything to do with me, is what it boils down to. Yes. Yeah. You know? Did, and, did you see the Grant Morrison interview about Flex Mantello? Yes, I did. And I Wasn't thought that... that- 
I, that kind of broke my heart a little bit. Oh, see, Graham, this no, is no, where I don't because, understand your... No, because yes. it just seemed sad that he was realizing that he didn't own it. See, that's, that's the part. Where... That's the part that made me sad. I, I really was like, really? That's the see again. Your your friend, the gentleman hater, is telling you you're having the wrong emotions. You're well, supposed to actually start throwing jars of internet bile at that dude because he was so incredibly blasé about Siegel and Schuster and Superman, for example. You know, he kind of had. He, to me, sure, that very why, much came why off. I, is, but why should I be throwing bile at him for then realizing that he's exactly the same and that he's been on the wrong side all this time? Because he's not saying that he's on the wrong side for everyone else. He's saying he's on the wrong side for himself. He's not. He's but you, not don't, suddenly, you don't think that's going to lead him to re approach everything? Well, you don't, you don't I, think there's going to be an empathetic moment where he'll be like, "Oh, this is terrible." Wait, this this has been this has always been terrible. I don't, I don't know how much longer you need than the sk- scope of the interview with Winwich. It didn't apparently come up, Graham. I, okay. You know, do, you, I, I, do you think? No, I genuinely think there was a a moment of realization that he didn't have, and that the the actual scope of what that means is something that's going to play out, as opposed to like happening right then. And also, even uh, if it did happen right then, he's hardly going to say in an interview, wait, I've just realized. <laughs> wait, shit, I'm Jerry Siegel. He's not going to say that. Well, maybe he should. You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of thing of like, I, the one thing that I do like about about Chris, both David Brothers and Chris Robertson, because I feel like David Brothers did every everything that I've been babbling about in this podcast for myself and worrying over wretchedly for like months. He pretty much just did in this one smooth Gordian swoop. You know, it was like, no Marvel, no DC, not buying them. Now I'm not even reading them. Uh, yeah, but and at, then Chris, at the same time, do you not think that he's... He has been going through the same thing that you've been going through at the same time, and it's just this is the first time he talked about it, as opposed oh, yeah. to who, who's been talking about it throughout the entire process. Yes. Yeah, I think it's probably been go- going on for a while, especially since when he talked about it, he mentioned that he was going through the period of not buying them for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I think that uh, – I thought that that was – but and then followed up with, with Chris Robertson's little jump. I'm kind of like, hey, you know what? Maybe we need more people – doing that you know what i mean and i don't i, I, I just i think this could be like the year or the start of the years where this actually be. might be happening yeah yeah but if I only because could be it seems so charged a subject mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. whereas before i feel that chris robinson could have said that and people would have been like huh and that do you know what i mean it moved on whereas now it's oh, yeah. the thing Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it's very much a thing, and there may be there may be more of it to come. There really might, uh, and it'll be interesting to see if that if that does indeed pan out. But I think it would be fascinating if we saw something. The other like thing that kind of image. really makes me sad about it mm-hmm. is, and this is completely me being cynical, mm-hmm. but I feel that if you tracked everyone who's like, "Good on you, Chris. That's great," mm-hmm. and whether they were buying his independent work, right. I don't think it's there. And that's mm-hmm. that's what really upsets me. It's like he's he's putting his money where his mouth is. And mm-hmm. all of you people who are like fuck Marvel and DC are not supporting him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you did, it would significantly change things. 
Oh, absolutely. If everyone absolutely. said, fuck Marvel and DC, they're terrible businesses, actually A, stopped buying them, and B, started mm-hmm. buying the books of the people who are agreeing with you and putting their money where their mouth is, it would right. dr- drastically change yeah. the landscape. And the fact that the landscape is not drastically changed shows that they're not. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I, I, I want, because of this, I want everyone who's saying, fuck yeah, Chris Roberson, to actually go out and buy Memorial. Right. Well, it's interesting because I'm one of those people who want to support him, but was not too knocked out by Memorial. So I have to figure out some other no, way. But do you, see, mm. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, well, I see I, what you're I, saying. I, but... I honestly wish that, I don't know. I just feel that there's a lot of, there's a lot of sides taking on both sides that mm-hmm. is has more to do with the entrenched positions everyone has decided to take as opposed to the the realities of what people are doing i guess yeah no i well i that's it i mean we've got uh unfortunately because there's a variety of uh opportunities open to people now whether that's you know something as easy as just reading a comic book in the shop and then not picking up a copy or getting the books digitally but not actually buying them you know which of course you know the little conundrum i went through a a couple of weeks ago um it's very yeah it's very there's never been an easier time to actually say one thing and do another it's true there's never been an easier time to not put your money where your mouth is Uh, absolutely absolutely and and it's really frustrating mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm I I totally I totally totally agree. Uh, even as I'm trying to navigate some of these waters, because I'm like, okay, I'm not buying before Watchmen, but I am buying other DC books. I'm currently okay with that, but maybe there will come some point where I'm really not okay. okay. Here mm-hmm. here's here's my question. Then. Sure. Mm-hmm. Why are you okay with that? Because because read uh, David's thing. I thought David had a much stronger case against I guess mm-hmm. for not. For DC actively doing something terrible right now, mm-hmm. as opposed to Marvel passively doing something terrible that they've always done. Does that make sense? Like, I, I saw more reason in his thing to boycott DC than I did Marvel, even though my own tastes are DC over mm-hmm. Marvel, and I care more about Kirby than I do Moore. Mm-hmm. I still feel like DC are like actively being shittier. In a weird way. And so I'm curious as to why you're boycotting Marvel and not DC. Uh, well, okay. That's a good question. I am boycotting Marvel uh, in part because I think that um, Marvel, uh, appear, from what I can tell, is treating um, its employees horribly on top of the way that it did indeed treat Kirby um, in the past and sort of con- sort of continues to roll forward with. It may also be because Marvel is sort of nearer and dearer to my heart and therefore was sort of more of a um, an element of opposition kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the DC thing is kind of, I guess it's a little easier for me to be like, you know what, DC's management and the people who are working on Before Watchmen are actively... Uh, I feel screwing Alan Moore, but I don't necessarily think that they're actively screwing the rest of the people who are doing 
work for hire. I mean, there's not necessarily great working conditions there in some cases, but as far as I can tell, um, even though it sounds hellaciously dysfunctional there, I feel like I sort of get the sense that maybe their their employees are being taken better care of. Um, so, I mean, I, it's one of those damn shames where I don't have, because I don't have the web browser up in front of me, I can't, like, break open you know, David's thing and go through it point by point. I did, in fact, have that thing of like, well, geez, maybe I really shouldn't be reading any of the DC stuff. But that would really only be, to me, more along the sense of... Uh, it's not a... I don't know. It just doesn't, it just doesn't feel like the same thing for me yet. Um, maybe there will come a point where it will, and I'll just have to stop buying the DC books. Mm -hmm. But I kind of feel that DC tends to have taken better care of the majority of the people in their employees, in their employee, have generally treated the direct market better, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in ways that I don't really think I'm prepared to throw out the the entire baby with all of the bathwater, you know? I mean, and that could be... Part of the baby with 75% of the bathwater. Well, yeah, I mean, I will not... I won't read read before Watchmen. It really could be the greatest shit ever, but I will never know. I'm just not ever going to read that thing, you know? Any of it. What's funny to me is, like I said, I was... uh, not incredibly excited mm-hmm. by the comic releases this week. Mm-hmm. And I read a chunk of Marvel and I read a chunk of DC. Um, the Marvel, pretty exclusively because I felt like I had to for my job. Right, which is only the only reason I would have done it. Um, but I was so... Bored isn't the right word, but I, I, I got nothing from anything... I read from those two companies. <laughs> like I was, I was just left cold by all of it, and I sort of realized after reading David's thing again, mm-hmm. I could see myself trending towards not a boycott, but just stopping buying these companies. Not because I feel so strongly that these companies mm-hmm. are abusing their workers, mm-hmm. but because I feel that they are, and I also just don't care enough about the comics anymore. Right, right. Like this weird combination of. Mild disgust and apathy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. will drive me away. Right, and also that it wouldn't be a great loss. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? Like I read, I read Avengers versus X Men issue two, oh, and I well, read, that'll save your feelings on the industry. Well, no, then. no, the thing. So I read that and read the the Wolverine and X Men crossover issue, and I read the Avengers crossover issue, mm-hmm. and I was like, this is like this is Marvel's big thing. This is their push. Mm-hmm. This is what they want people to read and to be like, Marvel Comics are fucking great. Mm-hmm. And it was just... They're all bad comics. Mm-hmm. To varying degrees of bad. Mm-hmm. But the idea that any of those comics are something that a newcomer could read oh, and, yeah. and be like, I love comics. Comics are great. Mm-hmm. That anyone in the company could believe that mm. just makes me think Marvel deserves to fail at this point. Mm. Uh, and, and then I read um, Avengers Assemble issue two, Ooh, which wow. is the comic they started to capitalize on, on the Avengers movie. Right. 
And that is, that's actually inept as a comic. I mean, you can go through it page by page and be like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? I mean, the Hulk has, the Hulk actually switches from using personal pronouns to talking about himself in the third person in two panels on the same page. What? Yeah. Wow. He is such an inconsistent speech pattern that I almost bought The Incredible Hulk to find out if that's a plot point that they've not explained. Uh, um, wow. It, it was stunning. There's a, a, a sequence where Hawkeye is trying to lift up Thor, who's unconscious, and then Thor wakes up and throws him off. But uh-huh. Thor waking up and throwing him off happens off panel. So, so Hawkeye, Hawkeye is holding his, it would be his right arm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the next panel, Thor standing up, and he's obviously meant to be pushing Hawkeye off. You can see Hawkeye's boot, but Thor's arm and Hawkeye are off panel. Wow. And that's, like, that is literally just inept. And the entire comic is like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I read it, and I just thought, if this is what they're doing to win people over mm-hmm. they'd serve to fail mm-hmm. because they need to learn that this is not good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's, it's I feel I, I feel guilty for having the they deserve to fail thing because no one does I, like, I want everyone to succeed do you know what I mean like I don't want sure. to wish ill but at the same time if they get rewarded for work of this quality mm-hmm. that's that's horrible <laughs> Yeah. They have to have a failure. They have to. They have to realize that this is not good enough. They have to have something to make them realize that they can do better. Because everyone involved can do better. Everyone mm-hmm. involved can do better. Right. Well, and I think that's it. I'm fascinated by it to the extent to which because I th- I think you know as you know I've read my share of Jason Aaron books and I I really I quite like the guy and totally absolutely one hundred percent true. I swear to you I you know read avengers versus x-men number two uh at the in at the comic book stand right there um thank thankfully brian hibbs had gone home early (laughs) so he wasn't actually talking to me while i tried to read it although i I miss being able to catch up with brian and it was it was really bad i mean it it was it's a really bad comic it's hideously overwritten and Mm -hmm. yet there's no story yeah like there's so much narrative caption that you kind of feel that Aaron is feeling guilty that so little happens that he's like I've just got to write the shit out of these captions well yeah I mean he's got he well and what I thought was great was the way that he tried to have the little captions for each one of the little punch em ups to try and give them some oomph or something mm. you know it's like shield hits the back of mutant head it'll be the first of many concussions spilt you know and I was like what you know or it's like Diamond fist meets, you know, iron plated adamantium yeah, abdomen. The hilarious bit where it's like Master of Magnetism versus Man in Iron. If you think that this is a going to be a quick fight, you've never met Tony Stark before. And it's yeah. like, really? So instead of actually explaining why that's not the case, you're just going to be like, what are you, retards? <laughs> It's like, we're not actually going to explain this. We're just going to call you stupid for thinking it. 
I, I loved that moment. I actually thought that was really funny. What does he actually say? Man in a metal suit versus the mutant master of magnetism? If you think this right. is no contest, you've never met Tony Stark. Yeah, is, it then cuts away. So, like, they're yeah, it does. vaguely explaining it. They're like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was waiting for the explanation on that. And then it cut away. I was like, huh, really? I, it's, it's, what? I mean, it really is a comic where in order to try and have – in order to basically avoid the obvious outcome, mm-hmm. it's just, like they're literally just magicking everything away. So, you know, Iron Man pops down and he's like, I've given you nanites that are stopping you using your telepathic powers. Right. Really? That's like the, the dumbest, craziest thing ever. Yeah. And exactly. it's just like, you bastard, I'm supposed to, wait, you've done what? How can you even do that? That yeah, makes no and, sense. And you've never done that to anyone else ever. Why do you yeah. use nanites to stop everyone else using their powers? Why aren't you doing but, that to everyone here right now? Right now at this very moment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I swear to God, this 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 because I like again, I like Jason Aaron. I know he's he's capable of quality work. The fact that he's not doing it means that they are being pushed so hard and and so fast. Um that that it is it's it's almost like Marvel's incapable of doing a good comic at this point, you know, like because literally the people who are capable of doing it aren't even being given the leeway or the arm room to to actually do it. it. It's just at least as far as this is concerned. I it's mean, the you know. oddest thing. It really is the oddest thing. The the Wolverine X Men tie-in issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like good Jason Aaron. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. is Jason Aaron actually thinking about character and everything again? Right. Um. But even that is just mm-hmm. like all the stuff that he kind of just has to ignore or, or take as written because it's what's happening, if that makes sense. Right. Where he's just kind of like, you know, uh, yep, so the Phoenix is here. And yeah, yeah you know, everyone, everyone's thinking this about the Phoenix. Like, it, it, I, Brian Hibbs said in his, I think it was uh, his review of issue one, I, I could be wrong. Um, there's no reason that Scott Summers should be thinking this about the Phoenix at all. Like, it yes. makes, like to the point where I'm now thinking I've missed the story where Scott has started thinking this about the Phoenix. Because mm-hmm. if you just think of it in terms of everything he's gone through before, it makes right. no sense. Like the, the part in Avengers X-Men issue 2 where he, say, he calls the character, he calls the Phoenix the mutant's messiah. There's yes. no basis for that thinking. Yeah, no, like, it just seems crazy. Because yeah. there is no basis for him ever thinking that yeah 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 yeah. to say nothing of that sort of like once immunes get a messiah of their own like the the rest of them are going to swoop in and stop it i was just like what like i mean that really is the sort of the only way in the past that dialogue would come out of someone's mouth would be to cut to a supervillain like cackling going Excellent, you know, it's like my takeover <laughs> of Scott Summer's psyche is complete, kind exactly. of thing, you because, know. Yeah, it, it's just, but it's it's so yeah, you get you get glimpses of good Jason Iron, mm-hmm. um, but it's in this, it's in the context that is so yes. weirdly defeating mm-hmm. of where their strengths are as writers. Cause I say this because I also read the preview of um, online of of Uncanny X Men, and mm-hmm. Kieran Gillen's a fucking great writer, and he's really good at X Men. Mm-hmm. And reading the preview, and it's, you know, Namor saying why he likes Cyclops while Cyclops does his standoff with Scott Summers. Mm-hmm. 
it's like this is potentially a really interesting character bit set in the context of this really stupid character bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, so, yeah that, that's horrible. The the Avengers issue is terrible. Well, I just I don't I, don't you think you should like cut bait as far as Brian Bendis goes, you know? I mean yeah, I, just I, I have this weird thing where like I don't want to. Because mm-hmm. I, I want him to be better. And I don't know why. I've never loved his Avengers. I've mm-hmm. been like, his Avengers is an interesting failure. Always. Right. And now it's not even an interesting failure. And yeah, I'm still like, he's going to pull it out. <laughs> why? I have no reason to think that. But I really am. I'm like, you know, I think what I'm wanting is I'm wanting it to become interesting again. It's not mm-hmm. that I'm ever expecting it to be a success. Mm-hmm. But I'm wanting it to become interesting again, and I think mm. I I think I should cut bait because I think he's checked out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think so. I think so. weren't you saying that you read that oral history of the Avengers, like all of it, and you were kind of appalled at like sort of how many? Oh, that that the, the oral history of the Avengers book is is something where I can't believe no one did a read of it before they put it out because mm-hmm. the bits are like actively contradictory between the chapters. Mm-hmm. That literally one read through would make them think, "Oh, we've got to fix that." I mean, wow. really small things like um, everyone is given their is referred to by their real name and then their superior name in brackets. Mm-hmm. Okay, apart from one chapter, Steve Rogers is called Captain America all the way through, mm. and then the next chapter, he's Steve Rogers again, and then two chapters down the line, he's Captain America again. Wow, there's like there's no explanation uh, or. Mm-hmm. It really early on in the book, it says, there's a little caption, it's like, um, Dr. Doom was approached for this book, but declined to be interviewed. And in the next chapter, Dr. Doom is doing an interview. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And this is Bendis, right? I'm yeah, not confused yeah. on this? Oh, this is, yeah, okay. And it's full of that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the flaws of that book aren't just everyone sounds like the same character. Mm-hmm. Because everyone, I mean, it's a Bendis book, of course everyone sounds like the same character. Um... But the flaws are literally, it will say something, and then the next chapter, it will contradict that. And then the chapter after that, it will pretend that it didn't do the contradictory thing. And then two chapters later, it'll contradict itself again. Right. Um, and the other flaws, of course, literally stops. Mm-hmm. Like, it gets to, like, the Korvac saga. Mm-hmm. And then the next chapter is then being like, so, being an Avenger is great. I'm really proud of being an Avenger. Avengers Assemble, Excelsior. And you're like, wait, what? That was like issue 183 of like 600. <laughs> get going, man. Come on, get to the crossing. <laughs> and, and it just, it literally just stops. It reads like Bendis was in it for the long haul. And then they were like, yeah, we're pulling the backups. But we'll, we'll put it in a book or something. And he was like, okay, I'll just do this one last chapter. <laughs> because there's like there's no thematic do you know what I mean? like it, it doesn't it doesn't have a that was the scariest case we ever had or anything and then ends it was just like yeah this happened i loved being an avenger <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just it's it's a shame i really wanted to like it i really really was excited about it i love oral histories mm-hmm. um I, I i i it just it's a good idea you know mm. um and it's a t- it's a really weak effort at a good idea. It's, right. it's just terribly put together. It, it's <laughs> the Brian Bendis story. Um, 
<laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I just, I kind of don't. I feel, I feel like, yeah, Marvel's kind of in the sledge work. And it was easy for me in some ways to sort of, I mean, it's rough because the books that I was reading that I liked felt like the the exceptions mm-hmm. um, to it, but they were also just getting so heavily mired in. Well, that's just that, like, you remember how much I loved Wolverine versus, and the X-Men, like, mm-hmm. launched. I was like, yes. this is Marvel's best book. Fuck Daredevil. This is better. Yeah. I'm reading the most recent issue. It was just like, this could be so good. Like, Chris Bacalow's art is lovely. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. just loves to just slightly tweak layouts. Mm-hmm. That makes it really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Aaron quite clearly loves the characters and loves having them characters be aware of their own ridiculousness. Like, there's mm-hmm. a scene where Wolverine and the Beast are talking, and the Beast says completely straight face, so, how are your legs now that they've regrown? <laughs> it's like, yeah, they feel they feel like new! It's awesome! <laughs> and that's I think it's really fun. But it's happening mm-hmm. in this context of, of, this is the biggest story we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that just kills it. And, like, Daredevil's the same thing. Daredevil's mm-hmm. a really fun book. Mm-hmm. I have no, I have zero interest in. You like the story? Read it. Avengers, Avenging Spider-Man, and The Punisher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that is a jumping-off point for me. Right. I yeah, it's it's just. I can totally see why. I can totally see why it would be easy for you to dump everything. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because you're like, what's the point in sticking around? Eventually, this book that I love will be shit yeah 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 yeah. well i mean yeah or how how is it put it's just it's that the odds are stacked against it and i think there is a feeling for me i mean currently as it stands um you know i the last two weeks i walked out with a handful of books um that i wouldn't have had otherwise or that i made it a point to get um because i'm like hey i'm not getting Marvel. Some of the DC books, you know, it was about half split, but I, I'll be honest, I'm kind of like, I I really enjoyed Wonder Woman 8 this week, and uh, and and frankly, Batman 8, the crazy owl shit. I'm like, okay, it's not, it's not, the particularly the Batman one, I was like, it's not fantastic, but, you know, but I definitely feel... Even once they threw in the the backup and up the price, I still kind of felt like I'm getting my money's worth and I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But I think it does have a lot to do with this idea of like, you know, it's like what like Wonder Woman. Like I want the book to work, but you know, I have. It's not like I've worked really hard at being a Wonder Woman booster through other runs that I didn't care so much for. So it's like the fact that Cliff Chang's doing this amazing art and Brian Azzarello actually seems to be picking up some steam you know is like kind of i'm like hey this is good news but but it's it's not going to be heartbreaking if it starts to smolder i guess you know what i mean it's a a weird thing to be like i'm enjoying this for what it is Mm -hmm. yeah like i'm I'm having like the opposite problem with justice league Mm. oh interesting justice league for me is lots of interesting ideas Mm -hmm. but i feel like i'm making them more interesting because i want them to be more interesting yeah, and I also feel that I also feel that ultimately, it's going to disappoint. And it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's like I feel like I'm reading it already braced for the crush position. <laughs> I I believe it. I totally believe it. I kind of read that this latest issue with a certain amount of um, 
Mm, I don't know. Let's just say that I ended up really enjoying the Shazam backup. So I love the Shazam backup. I Wasn't really, that great? I really, I'm really enjoying the Shazam, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. But I, uh, I, 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 am I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting to see how um, how it's going to piece together. If you know, because you've got these characters introduced, that suggests that he might be going with a real flashpoint style Shazam direction with it. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I was just like, again, I'm in this weird zone of like. I just really like watching, looking at Gary Frank's art on this is just phenomenal, you know? And and John's isn't overselling it. Eh, he's overselling it a little bit, actually. But I, I, I think he's doing a pretty good job for, what, eight pages a month? Like, yeah, for, I, I, I feel like I got a really good chunk of story in this issue. I did, too. I, I think I, I got too. as much out of the eight pages of Shazam as I did the 20-odd pages of Justice League. I kind of felt that way as well, I'll be honest, because, ooh, that Justice League was that was such a weird issue though i mean i really have to give jeff johns like credit like that felt like he's doing some fascinating fucking stuff isn't he yeah he is he is uh that i just can't put my finger on like i mean like uh, there's something yeah. really weird about the fact that the just League are complete assholes mm-hmm 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 that also somehow feels true to their character. I don't know. I, I'm I'm really fascinated by the fact that you can tell at some point something is going to go hideously wrong. Right. 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 And he's kind well, of playing it up as it's going to be their own fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's kind of that weird, like, well, it sort of feels like that should be a, um, you know, a little bit of a straw man storyline in a way, but. He does do a good enough job actually extrapolating the majority of these characters as being, you know, quote unquote, who they are. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if as long as you buy into um, the, his his new his current interpretation of Green Lantern, which is easy enough. Like, really reading that issue, the the character of uh, Superman was actually the only one that still didn't quite feel right to me. Mm-hmm. Kind of. I, I have the feeling that DC still doesn't know what to do with Superman. Yeah, I, 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 get, I that get the feeling, feeling well. that everyone is kind of like holding their breath and being like, when is Grant Morrison going to show us what Superman's like? Right. Right, because he's showing, and you know, frankly, I sort of feel like him showing what Superman was like as a kid seems to work really well for me. I mean, I've been enjoying that book tremendously. But yeah, I can but, see but where... I, I feel that everyone else is like, just let us show him what he's supposed to be like now because we're all doing this current Superman and right. we can't, you know, is, is he like old Superman? Is he is he a dick? What, what's the deal? How, how right, exactly, Superman? yeah. Um, mm-hmm. there, there really is a sense of, of Superman being a really uncertain character which is, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a disaster for the Superman book. <laughs> yeah. Which is, has him as the lead character and this completely inconsistent uh, characterization. Characterization of him, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because um, you just don't seem to have a sense of it. But not like Justice, Justice League has. Justice League, as a book, has really interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, I really am like, I want this to be better than it is, and I know it's going to disappoint me, and so I can't even enjoy it right now. Does that make sense? It totally does I'm make ju- sense. I'm just so waiting for it to go wrong, and I don't know why. I don't know why either. I have to say, like, Graham, you're so, like, um, you're so emotional. (laughs) (laughs) 
I definitely, it's like I hear you, like we're having these conversations and you're like, oh, I was so excited. I was so down. I was so depressed. I was so, and I'm just like, really? I just, it was okay. okay. okay let, let, let's know? move on to two comics where I totally was like, huh, that's a comic. Uh, okay, good. It'll surprise you. Oh, okay. Casanova issue three and Omak issue eight. What? Oh my god, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. I was so excited to read both because you're like, I can't wait till you read them. We can talk about them. And yes. Nova in particular, I was like, huh, that's a comic. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Which is hilarious because I- the first issue, you remember, I hated. The second issue, I loved. Yes. This literally is the, the middle because I have no feelings about this issue whatsoever. Oh, interesting. This issue was I- competent. Competent, huh? Uh, you know, of course, it's it's not in the stack of stuff that I pulled, you know, to talk about. So it's not right here beside my desktop. But interesting. I thought that it did a pretty good job of taking the, the first two issues and kind of mashing them together in that there was a um, a lot of that, oh, shit, everything's going to turn out for the worst feeling of issue one, but with somehow a lot of the the genuine pop and energy of the second issue so you know and, and, I, and I felt that the whole thing just just I, kind of didn't bring anything new to the page for you or? not only that I felt like it was really cynically put together oh interesting I, I really felt that the because both my problem with the first issue and my my love of the second issue came from I felt they were they were very emotional comics Yes, and that Fraction had really put himself into them, mm-hmm. and now that we're at a point point in the story where I feel like the plot has taken over, mm-hmm. and so Fraction's literally like doing math, mm. as opposed to being emotionally invested or or trying to get the reader emotionally invested, mm. and so you know it all works on a plot level, right. But the only thing that worked for me on an emotional level, even vaguely, was um, Kato's reaction, basically, to being manipulated. Mm, mm-hmm. And that was ultimately such a small part of the issue. Mm-hmm. I, first of all, I feel it should have been a bigger part. I feel that that was the emotional center of the issue, but had such little attention paid to it hmm. that it... That it, 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 it underwhelmed interesting I really thought the the centerpiece of the third issue is the you know <laughs> Casanova and and being you know so in love with the Newman Zeno you know and that it's presented pretty openly and and uh, erotically at that he lets him go and essentially creates his own undoing I suppose I, I see that would have been more interesting to me if that wasn't what happens in the second issue. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like we've had, we've literally seen that beat in the last issue. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose for me, I guess maybe it just felt a little less. Um, in in the second issue, it felt more like some act of mercy, um, intermixed with a certain amount of uh, homoeroticism, I suppose. And in the third issue, it actually felt different to me. Um, it it felt it didn't feel like the same beat for some reason. Um, I, it totally felt like the same beat for me, and, and it it sort of weirdly undercut the second issue. It felt like mm. it felt like Fraction was like, "Did you get this? <laughs> did you like? Did I make this clear enough for you?" 
Because if not, I can do it again, but slower. Right. No, I got the sense that he was doing it again, but slower in a very weird form of... I, I took it as more of a do-over. Like, kind of a not, did you see this, but as in a, hey, I I need to make this point a little more clear. You know, even if it was just to himself. Because to me, it's a very different thing between, like, between the idea that Casanova lets him go because of he's developing some conception of mercy and openness but it you know it's almost like he was like oh wait I'm getting ahead of myself he actually has to do something because of you know selfish love first you know so it it felt like a different beat for me but uh, Um, hasn't Casanova always been about selfish love uh, I mean, I can well, that, I can't, can't right. see why that would be an evolution for the character because now he's doing this thing. And essentially, he's you know in doing that, he's creating his whole process and he's becoming the self fulfilling prophecy. But I mean, yeah. if you look through the, the series today, it's right. always been about Cass being selfish. Yes, and so yeah, no, un- it's unless, about unless selfish, this yeah. is going to be the series where Cass learns to not be selfish. But even then, I feel that that would be an unearned payoff because mm. the series started with Cass being not having the agency to be selfish and so he was forced to be selfless and hated it mm-hmm. I don't know I, I, I feel I feel if that's the direction it's going in like that mm-hmm. that doesn't have that doesn't feel earned to me oh interesting interesting Weirdly enough, it felt mostly earned to me because I felt between one and two. Like you said, he may be acting selflessly in the first issue and without agency, but he is also um, kind of steeped in kind of a a self-hatred and loathing for the world that kind of starts to – you see it burn off in issue two. uh, And then in issue three, as a result, you see what gets set up. And so I think – fraction supposed to make us feel like okay what's at stake what's at stake here is a result of this is are you going to have Cass walk out of it and be essentially having turned his back forever on the world or is it going to be something where because he did something and even though it was was selfish it was a form of letting someone else go free um that that is going to allow him to, to sure, also but, but end it free. But didn't he do that in the end of the second volume? Um, when, when he let the the gun be fired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was that not an know. act of selfish selflessness that he did for other people? And again, with the fir- with the first volume, with his mother, with hiding his mother. Yes. Well, but that's. I, I, I feel. Like I feel like it's so repetitive. Mm-hmm. I feel there has to be an evolution, and the weird thing is, after reading issue three, mm-hmm. I didn't want the evol- I didn't want Cass to get away with it. Mm-hmm. The, like mm-hmm. when he and Sass are like, you know, baby, this will be great. We'll do this under their noses. They won't know. I honestly was like, I want you to get caught. I want right. you to fail. I want you to right. feel. I, I want you to feel the weight of failure, because, mm-hmm. because he theoretically should have done that after volume two. Mm-hmm. But instead, he just went into self-pity. Mm-hmm. And then he went from self-pity back to what he's always been like, which is, I'm doing this for a greater good, even though it's entirely selfish. His idea of a greater good has always been selfish. His idea of a greater Oh, agreed. Agreed. But, yeah, I, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. still is. Well, 
I, 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 no, I don't. I don't mm. see an evolution. I see him backtracking with this. No, I, I think I it's different. Him. I, okay, I, it possibly is. I <laughs> had to be made clearer for me. I guess is what I I'm see. saying. Yes, like it right, still right. it feels too close to the way he was in volumes one and two. Right. But I don't buy it as evolution. Gotcha. I buy it as devolution. Right. And I need. And and as a series. It feels like the themes are always the same, and the stakes ultimately are always the same, and so mm-hmm. I want everything to take a step forward. I and think the reason I think it left me so cold is everything in this one feels pretty much like it was. I feel it could have been an issue of volume two. Right. I think, although I could be wrong, I personally think that you, I, I, for whatever reason, am inclined to believe that by the end, time you get to the end of this volume, you'll feel differently. I hope so, but at the same time, I'm kind of nervous that that's only one issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That leaves a lot of work to happen. Oh, that's right. It is. It's one issue, not two. Shit, I was thinking it was two. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe not then. Hmm. I mean, we'll, I hope we'll totally see, but yes. A, after what you said about it last time we talked, I was really, I was like, <laughs> and I honestly finished it. It's like, huh, okay, I got nothing from that. Wow. Okay. Well, let's move on to OMAC number eight, the other one that I oversold and therefore helped disappoint you on. Exactly. Uh, My problem with that was just that he was trying to do too much at once. Like, that's just he a was. fucking packed comic. And, yeah, it's super packed. And as a result, like, nothing everything felt weightless because it was mm. just like this is happening this is happening this is happening this is happening and mm-hmm. I I I went along with it but I didn't feel any of it mm. Mm. interesting I I can't really say that I had felt felt much in the previous seven issues of OMAC if you know what I mean so I guess I wasn't in a way you didn't buy this issue what, I'm sorry, what's that? Didn't you buy it in a way that you didn't buy this issue? I don't know. There's just something about this that just felt too packed. Yeah, no. I, it, it it felt a little rushed and jammed, and there was stuff that didn't work, and there was stuff where, again, where I thought that DiDio was either – was you know I couldn't tell if he was taking the piss or just genuinely inept with what he was trying to do. Um, oh, I, but, I, I actually have to say I think he was taking the piss. Okay. I, I was I was very conscious of that while I was reading, and I I, th- I think he was taking the piss. Yeah, I kind of I kind of thought that as well, but I literally had moments where I didn't know. Um, but no, somehow even though it didn't all work, I kind of had this this just little blip of like, okay, I've had I I you know had something like closure, and it kind of hit at least on the checklist the things that I would have wanted because my biggest complaint had been kind of like, okay, I have no idea who Kevin Coe is. Uh, and at the end of the issue, I was like, okay, now I know who he is. I don't necessarily feel like it was done well or... No, it's done terribly. Yeah, done ter- it was done terribly. You want to somehow know who he was? I- Why don't we tell you through narration? <laughs> through narration, uh, the, well, covering issue, his that, entire life. That, has n- that also has nothing to do with what's happening. Yeah. Well, because the only time where he's trying to make it seem like... Like I said, that's the... the times where it seems like it's supposed to make do with what's happening, it sort of it sort of seemed uh, yeah, uh, comically and abysmally yeah, wrong. He weirdly bit yeah. it. I mean, I get yeah. the idea that, again, the narration is, all of my life I've never had power, and by the end of this issue I am in charge. Like, I am power. Right. But I can't yeah. do it. Like, I don't know what to do with it. 
I get that on a thematic level. Mm-hmm. But it still felt weirdly. I'm giving you the, all this backstory because it's the final issue, and I have to give this give you this backstory because this is the this is our plan all along. But we don't have any more space, so I'm just going to give it to you in one big you know lump. What one big blop? Yeah, no, it was not. It was it. it yeah, it, I don't know, Graham. I'm sorry, it did not work for you. I was kind of like, hey, it worked for me. I I, I totally I, again. I wanted it to work for me, and it was yeah. just eh. It felt, yeah. I think the reason the other issues worked for me and this one didn't was the mm-hmm. other issues kind of felt like they were really just fucking about. Mm-hmm. And, it oh, yeah, more spontane- really and it was more spontaneous. And this one felt mm-hmm. like they had something to do. And it yes. felt like work. Yeah, but you know what? I would have been pissed if this had just been one more issue of fucking off and then in the last panel it would have been like, apocalypse! Oh, yeah. no, I... I kind of would have loved if that had happened or if it had ended with the cliffhanger that matched the final issue of the original series. <laughs> like if it had just ended with Kevin's like standing somewhere stranded on a mountaintop being like, brother I, brother I, yes. you know, that would have been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am, I, I both think that that would have been great and uh, I'm, I'm tempted to shove you off a cliff the next time because <laughs> I just totally disagree. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, Graham, no, yeah, no. Yeah, that's really funny. No. Why why are, why are you – stop being wrong about comics. <laughs> uh, what else did you read? Is there, there's, there's, what, you know what? Should we both talk about The Shadow Number 1? Did you read it? Yeah, I did. I did as well. well uh, probably liked it much more than I did. Yes, because I can't really imagine you being – like – I can imagine this being a comic where you kind of going, it's all right, I guess, not really for me, kind of. Yeah, thing. pretty much. My my feeling about this comic was this is a great comic for people who like this sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I thought I did think it was pretty good. I have to say that I thought that um, I thought that Garth Ennis, considering he had sort of said like I don't give much of a shit about the shadow, I thought he actually did a pretty good job. Like taking the character and doing something kind of halfway interesting about him, you know, and he yeah, clearly I, has I, I, the powers th- and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he has more respect for the character than his interviews would have suggested. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, 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 I quite liked it. I really do. I have to say that it was, and it's interesting because uh, I don't know if you saw the other stuff on Twitter, but part of what started this going was Dynamite has, uh, Dynamite Cosmic Comicsology and Dynamite have had a three-day uh, Garth Ennis sale uh, on their on various Dynamite books. And uh, Matt Turrell, who listens to the podcast and may even be listening now, he and I, he apparently is... Um, we seem to have found the two people, uh, the only other person on the internet that has almost no willpower when it comes to comicsology sales. So inevitably, he and I end up swapping emails, going like, "You didn't buy this, did you? Did you get this? Did you like?" He like he sent me like emails when, during when Marvel was having its Heroes Reborn ninety nine cent sale, where it just it was it was like listening to two white knuckle alcoholics like <laughs> talking it out on a telephone call. I felt I felt more like his sponsor than I did like an actual, you know, uh, person uh, having an email correspondence. But that being said, when they switched around um, and this Garth Ennis thing came came up, like I think on Tuesday night or something like that, I I totally didn't hesitate to buy the boys digital omnibus because it was like 22 issues for 
$18. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's not even 99 cents an issue. If that was like a big old bin, you know, like a starter set of comics at Comics Experience that I'd come across, I'd totally buy this. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. I'll have 18 issues to talk, you know, 22 issues to talk about the boys uh, with. Um, uh, all of which is to say, yes, the shadow was quite good. Uh, and boy, the first 10 issues, 12 issues of the boys, I really, wow, have not liked. Like, this was really? like, yeah, it's really interesting to me. Um, and I should also mention, because we didn't podcast last week, I had picked up issues two and three of Crossed Badlands, um, the three issue miniseries that Ennis and Jason Burroughs did, returning to their crossed verse Mm -hmm. and it was i had read the first issue and i thought yeah this is this is pretty all right and by the end of the third issue i'm like this is really good like i again it's not anything that you would that you would like but i was like okay this is what i consider good garth ennis not great good garth ennis but like really good well even potentially close to great like it just it set out to do what it was going to do and I thought it did it quite well. And I had that same feeling with The Shadow. Like, that was actually better than I expected. Um, And so when I sat down with the boys, like, even though years and years ago I had read the first five issues, I I think I might have read the first arc or at least the first five issues of the first arc. I was like, yeah, this really isn't my thing. But, you know, maybe I was being too harsh on it. And by the time I got to issue 10 or 11, I was like, wow, I hate this so it'll be really interesting would, to see if that changes or not i would be not. really curious to see what you think of it like if you if you somehow managed to make it through to like where they are now which is like issue 60 something well yeah, that's it they're really super close to at the end and believe me i was such an impulse purchase fan if they had had like two omnibuy at that price you know like there had been a second volume that would have taken me up to issue 44 or so I've, I probably would have bought that too without like sight unseen. I'm really glad that I didn't, but I'm fascinated. Like, have you, you haven't read it, right? I have actually, I have because they're part of the comp uh, packages. That wow. I've so I, I have read the boys. Dude, does he keep the, um, what I can only perv- describe as a sense of pervasive sexual disgust? up yes. throughout yes. the book. Yes. Wow. And I would argue it gets worse. Really? Yes. Holy shit. Cuz I just finished uh so so is this one where you jumped in and have, have like read from a certain point onto a certain point or you like have all this time like read the entirety of the boys and have been very more or less mum about it? Uh I've read all manner of dynamite comics that I've been more or less mom about. Yes, I know you have, but but okay. So the second the second arc of the boys is this whole arc where the two character where Huey and Butcher look into the death of uh, a young gay man, um, pretty much on the insistence of this tiny, incredibly spiteful, bitter guy. <laughs> Basically, this this weird version of Stan Lee that's lurking in the back of a comic book store yes. who more or less runs the comic book universe in a way. Now, is he um, the, I always thought he was Jack Kirby. He looks like Kirby because he's short, but the one or two times where he breaks out the Excelsior stuff makes me think that he's supposed to be Stan Lee. Because he basically there's a, there's some other point in the series in in the in his introduction episode where he was like. Something like, you know, like, ah, uh, 
talking about everyone else being stupid suckers, you know, in a way that I, I also part of, part of the tip I think for me is I remember Ennis telling a story about Stanley and being real, you know, the punchline of which was Stanley is no fag, true believers that, uh, that really made me think that that, that was the, the, the guy that he was, he was working, shooting for in that mm. particular portrayal. Mm. But Jesus Christ, like I was kind of like, like reading with that particular scene with the with the introduction of that character, I was like, "Well, we, hmm, we certainly this certainly is. If you're down on comics, this is certainly the book to probably be reading." But, but then the story, which goes on to read actually like a very bad issue of Powers, which I'm not sure is deliberate or not, has Butcher and Huey looking into this this character who is essentially Batman, but with a certain amount of Iron, Iron Man mixed into him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to see whether his sidekick may have been responsible for this, you know, was connected with this guy's murder or whether it was the quote-unquote tech knight himself. And the whole story is this weird piece of homophobia dressed up as a crazy straw man argument in which if anyone, any person who actually talks about being accepting of homosexuality is actually going to be a bigot that will kill homosexuals if they he, get a chance. Here's the thing, though. I feel I feel that is present through so much Venice's work. This is one of my problems oh, yeah. with Venice. I think Ennis is mm-hmm. an insanely bigoted writer, and I'm mm-hmm. not. I don't, I don't even think he's necessarily a bigoted person, but I mm-hmm. think for some reason he finds it easy slash amusing slash whatever. To, no, I'm you glad you mean, got like, the whatever clause in there. No, but you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's, for some reason, he likes writing in a way that is homophobic and racist. Oh, yeah. And all this, right. And I don't know why. Well, he had... But, like, and Pre- the... Preacher, for example, is full of that shit. And mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why Preacher, I just don't get. And The, the Boys oh, is yeah. the same. I've read so much oh, yeah. of The Boys. Like, I've read... I think I actually started with that arc you're talking about. I think that was mm-hmm. the first arc I read, um, mm-hmm. but I I don't get the boys. Like the boys is yeah. so weirdly hateful. It really kind of is, and it's hateful and on like so many levels. Like it's full yeah. of so much self-loathing and loathing mm-hmm. for everyone else, and and it's right. just it's. I mean, did, did the issues you got? Did it have the hero gasm miniseries? In there? Uh, I don't think that's in here because I think I could have sworn that was later on. That was one of the later miniseries type. Yeah, I want to say that was around like issue 40 or something. Yeah, this is just the first straight 22. But the first arc has, when they take out teen kicks or whatever, there's an issue of that that is essentially um, all the superheroes running around having this polygamous yes room to room orgy type situation yeah so my hero got some essentially six issues of that Mm, god right which i mean i wrote this like years ago and i i apologize because there's nothing worse than an asshole who quotes himself but i remember thinking that that like the boys was so weird because like Ennis is so clearly disgusted by sex and and Derek Robertson is so clearly titillated by it that it makes for such a weird read. You know what I mean? Like, he really... The the other thing about The Boys is weird, though, is Ennis cannot separate sex and superheroes. Cannot. He can't. He's unable to do it. 
And isn't that weird? Isn't that yeah, really it, weird? It, it's really, really weirdly off-putting. Because it, it, to uh-huh. me, it suggests a lack of imagination for him. Well, it, you know, it's one of those things that's really weird to me. Is like it's a, well, okay. First off, here's my thing, and this is the part where like I actually loved the shit out of Preacher until I had this weird moment of like, hmm, the the homophobia in Preacher actually kind of at, at the end of it put me off, but. By the time I kind of got to the boys, I sort of had this feeling of like, I think I think Ennis is just completely creeped out by sex. Like, I don't think he's necessarily homophobic. I think he is. I think I think all sex squicks him out in a way that he finds like kind of he's very much he always reads his work reads to me like a very much a puritanical piece of a puritanical piece, I should say. Um so I think to me, my whole thing is, is whenever Garth Ennis has to s- come up with a situation where the worst thing ever is happening to you, it's something sexual. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or, or the most humiliating thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's Which like, is pretty much the same sort of thing. Yeah. To an it's just, it's I'm, okay. So by the, by the 22nd issue, have you read all 22 issues? Oh God, no! I wanted to try and read a lot so that I'd be able to talk about it with you because I'm. Sure, I was going to say, have, you, have you had the origin of Mother's Milk yet? No, no, no. no okay, no, well, no. if if you get to that in your twenty two issues, I you'll have to we'll have to talk about it because that is the craziest, most Garth Ennis body phobia thing ever. Really, he gets his superpowers by drinking his mother's milk. Oh wow! Like even as an adult. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where like people are like, "That's fucked up." Like it's a good thing. This right. Is like, this is fucked up, not because of the idea it's fucked up, but because it's clearly fucking Ennis up so right. much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it it gets it gets uncomfortable because you're dealing with Ennis's issues so oh, yeah. weirdly directly that you're like well but that was the thing that struck you me alone? Like, <laughs> no, but, but I felt that that's, yeah. that's all the way through the boys and right. to be honest for me all the way through yes. future mm, interesting that, see it's there really is just this weird like uh, this, this is horrible let's point at it and make fun of it right Right. Well, no, which is the Ennis way. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, honestly, I think that there's something where I could, um, I don't know, for for someone, I guess for me, there's like this very thin line that you walk. And one side of the line is you're telling a story that is so infused with your personal worldview that it is interesting to read, you know, as a reader, because you're sort of give an insight into, I suppose, this other mindset. And then there's the other side of the of the line where you feel like you've got someone who is either, you know, preaching to you or is kind of making a case for themselves in a way that seems semi-oblivious to what they're actually saying, I suppose, that seems, that doesn't seem especially measured and seems a little off-putting. 
So reading a five-issue, six-issue story in which the guy who actually uses all the derogatory terms for gay people is actually better than the people who don't because he's more honest and doesn't really care you know, about people and who they are, whereas the people who are trying to cover up their prejudice are actually trying to cover up the bile of hate that they've got underneath. It's such a weird, wrong... Like I said, it was a weird straw man argument that was carried out into a six-issue story that got collected into a trade in an omnibus. And I was just like, wow. Like, I really had that weird moment of like, I'm really, really... I have to give Paul Levitt some credit for, like, not wanting to publish The Boys at DC in a way, because it's... That, that's an incredibly creepy thing. Like, this... that the, those, those first 11 issues of The Boys and Glamour Puss are kind of weirdly similar experiences for me. Oh, you God, know? can you imagine a Garth Ennis... Dave Sim collaboration? I think that it would be gangbusters. I think the two of them would fucking have a blast. And I really hope it doesn't happen for anyone involved. No, it'd it'd be Um, hilarious because the two of them would would find such common ground and it would be the most unreadable, hateful, (laughs) terrible thing ever. Awful. No one would ever want to read it. And yet they'd both be convinced that they're like telling the truth. Yeah, well, that's it. They both kind of are. So I don't know. I was really, I was really creeped out by the boys. So I'm kind of fascinated. Part of me, and unfortunately, just like with Glamour Post, part of me is like, oh my god, let's keep that. I just hope this. They can't really sustain this, can they? Even though I really had this weird like feeling of like, Ugh, I just took a hideous dirt bath. You know, I just feel kind of unclean now. I, I I genuinely think it gets worse. Wow! Wow! That's a that's just the, the, fascinating to me. The other thing that like I, I think there's redeeming qualities to the boys that I do not see as redeeming, if that makes sense. Mm. I think Ennis has a insanely um sincere belief in the in Machismo and in the in the American heroic myth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I just don't share. And this is another reason why Preacher didn't work for me, because I did not buy into anything there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, like, if you believe in that, or if, if you have faith in that, then I think the boys' ha- the boys longer narrative really brings that out. Yeah. Which, like, I... okay, so there's all this, you know, there's all this hatred, but there's also these people trying to be better, or, you know, or have been right. beaten down after being better, and they're struggling, and it's men of honor. Yes. But, like, that's such bullshit for me. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that is not the redeeming thing at all. That I'm just like, oh my god, I can't believe you still believe that. <laughs> I'm I'm weirdly a sucker for that. I totally have to admit it's certainly mm-hmm. certainly in my fiction, which is part of why um, which is why actually the the second why why actually both series of crossed works. But, okay, Ennis to me is essentially quint, quintessentially a bully. I think um, in his fiction. I, I, in, in the few times I've met him, he's been nothing but the absolute one of the sweetest guys to walk the earth. Um, but in his fiction, he's kind of fundamentally a bully. Um, but there are times where that tone of that that the bully's self pity serves the self pity inherent in like male adventure fiction. Mm-hmm. That it syncs up really, really well 
Like I think his I think his war comics are fantastic in that regard. Um, you know, there are things that he does believe in, and because he believe he believes in them, and he underwrites it in a way that is never quite as um, that that makes it actually much more affecting. So I don't necessarily know if I'm going to end up getting that from the boys. It'll be really interesting to see, but I do know that. I, I actually did take that from like Crossed and some of the other stuff of his that I quite liked. Well, I, I think that definitely becomes much more prevalent in The Boys because The Boys has a larger story. Mm-hmm. And that becomes more obvious maybe probably around where this, where your collection ends. I think your collection mm-hmm. possibly ends at the point where you'd be like, huh. Um, but because I don't share the love of the hero figure, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of like, ah, okay, I've seen this story before. <laughs> uh, this is- whereas, it, you know, if you if you believe in it, if you, if that works for you, then I could see you being like, okay, this is getting interesting. This is going somewhere. Right, but isn't it kind of weird and interesting how his like. His conception, I suppose, of that kind of male machismo is so lim- – even when, A, he's showing it in groups of men or, B, sort of the lonely antihero is still like – there's some sort of weird way in which it's it's such a mirror image to the stuff that's going on with superheroes and yet the superhero <clears throat> stuff is like icky and worthy of nothing but ridicule. You know, even though it's just really just a, a weird mirror image of the other, you know? Yeah, but I can see in a weird way why Ennis is not comfortable with superheroes if, in his mind, superheroes equal sex, which it seems to do. But, I again, I'm just assuming since everything that makes him feel uncomfortable is related to sex like i'm like because i don't know anyone else who actually makes that con- like people are usually like superheroes are actually weirdly asexual you know what i mean like i don't really know where he would get this conception of it unless he's looking at it and projecting all this stuff on there you know what i mean what you like, probably is well exactly but i mean and that's what really strikes me as such a weird jump you know, is like, I don't really see, like, his his conception of tying superheroes to sex seems remarkably, like, off the mark. And, and, and interestingly enough, the exact opposite of what usually people are making fun of superheroes and superhero fans for. You know what I mean? Like, it's really odd to me. I, I, uh, I don't know, like, I, bizarrely, I can see the connection between superheroes and sex more clearly than I think you can. And I'm wondering if this is a cultural thing. I, I, I really like... I, I, uh, I kind of have a reaction of, I don't see why you don't see this. Like, I don't have it as strongly as Ennis does, mm-hmm. but I can definitely see the interrelation. Uh, I guess I can see it when it's underlined in a very... Like, if you come at it from a very Grant Morrison-y angle, I suppose... You know, but but yeah, I kind of don't quite get that. Like, I as close as I can see, it is maybe even weirdly being some sort of weird fetish thing. I mean, and maybe the, again, this is just me. For somebody who like makes a lot of jokes about you know 
in like old fanboy rampage columns or whatever about superheroes having sex. I don't really get. I, I don't really see them that way. I guess. Um, well, I mean, which is the weird part. Yeah, it's but that's not weird at all because they're kids' mm-hmm. characters. Do you know what I mean? It's well, like, that's it. Yeah, it's like seriously, how many people are really like? Well, do you think Shaggy from Scooby Doo has sex with Velma? Do you know what I mean? Like right. that. that because no one really... Which is exactly something that I joked about. And the answer is, no, of course they don't, because they're cartoon characters. <laughs> exactly. Kids, you know. I was going to say, of course they don't, because she's having sex with Fred. I really thought that's where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm not, I'm not as funny as you, Graham. That would no, be but, great, though. But, ah. Uh, I think that, I think people who honestly are like, superheroes equal sex, and that's that, are totally mm-hmm. projecting their own thing onto it. Okay. But at the same I mean, time, like the the superhero sex connection that Morrison has in Flex Metallo, mm-hmm. totally rings true for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it is a, a level of um, body perfectionism and hypersexuality in right. in the visuals mm. that you're mm. that you're reading at a specific time in your life, right? Where it sort of affects your idea of sexuality, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just revealing too much about myself here. Jeff. No, 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 no. I mean, I think that. Well, or if so, interesting. But no, I, I, I just. I mean, I, here's the thing. Again, I, I sort of, I see those points, and I think for me, the great part, one of the great joys of reading Flex Mentello back in the day was it really dredged up a whole bunch of, uh, especially the Silver Age subtext and made it text you know in a way that was very charming i don't necessarily take it as as i guess gospel truth i suppose but i I mean when you present it that way i totally agree but but the thing about flexmental is you shouldn't accept as gospel truth because ultimately it's a very personal book right well yes exactly this is this is my reading of superheroes and this is why superheroes are important to me Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there are parts that like you'll agree with because you have a similar mentality. There are parts where you'll mm-hmm. think that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. And there are right. parts where you're just like, are you crazy? Right. Depending on what your viewpoint is. Right. I guess my thing is is that for after so long of people essentially dissing superhero comics as essentially adolescent, um, that means I, – like I take them at the – like I – Take that at their word. That comics are, if they're if they're sexual, they're unconsciously sexual, you know, and therefore there's something that you know. I think they can suffer for one for, for that to that end. One of the things that was really actually very great about Flex Mentallo is the way in which he like decries the grim and grittiness as just another form of late adolescence like there's nothing actually adult or grown up about it you no know? Which, which is is my favorite part of that book yeah absolutely but like that's that's that is a payoff that really works for me yeah oh absolutely like it 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 resounds like it's like it it's is is especially because it's immediately, it's immediately followed by reclaiming superheroes as essentially meaningless children's characters that work in a very simplistic morality the fact exactly. that it comes immediately afterwards, I think, really yeah. underscores the part for me and, and works mm-hmm. in, in, I guess, my definition of superheroes. Because I agree. I think if superheroes are sexual, it's, it's unconscious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that means that they're not sexual, if that makes sense. And I think as the 
superior creators have grown older and more self-conscious. Right. I think the sexuality has become less unconscious. Oh, agreed. Um, I, I think Jim Lee's X-Men, for example, mm, is a crazily hormonal comic. Hmm. Uh, that is one that it, it's it, like, considering know, I jumped off, I was like, tell no, me more. But in a way, well, I just remember, and I can't, like, because I jumped off in, like, issue three. I jumped off mm-hmm. in Claremont did. Um, but there's there's the scene where Psylocke's getting out of the pool, and, it, like, the, the plot is essentially Cyclops is looking at her, and he gets a hard-on. And then he's like, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? But there's such a... In, I was going to say implicit, explicit sexuality mm-hmm. of right. si- in the portrayal of Psylocke at that point. Right. Yes, absolutely. Everybody- Although that weirdly becomes sort of a meeting point of, I mean, it's like, wow, somehow this ended up being the sex episode of the podcast. But that's all like, I mean, we really like, it's almost impossible to talk about sex in superhero comics without talking about Chris Claremont, right? I mean, oh, exactly. it, it, yeah, but I mean, by the time you get to Jim Lee, Jim's mm-hmm. female characters, I would argue more so than any other comic artist up until that point. Mm. had weirdly balloon breasts that mm-hmm. were the focus of their portrayal because mm. Jim Lee always did the undershadow on the breast. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, before that, they didn't. Before that, breasts were right. actually played down. And then you get Jim Lee where the women have balloons attached to the front where there mm-hmm. would always be a focus on the fact that they're that they're the shape they are. Mm-hmm. And so there's mm-hmm. always the focus on the undershadow of the breast, which is mm. draws more attention to it, and then mm-hmm. as Jim Lee becomes the model superhero hero artist, right? You get all these other artists aping it, and it all becomes like weirdly, like distorted. At some mm. point, someone has to do a study into the crazy distortions of human anatomy that follow right. Jim Lee, because mm-hmm. it goes beyond parody. Mm-hmm. You know, people stop ha- people stop having uh, a physicality that could be real. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the men and the women, mm-hmm. but the woman in Jim Lee portrayal, and I don't know if this is really started with Jim Lee or not, but I feel like Jim Lee was the artist who made women stand always as if they were wearing heels. Mm. And put extra focus on their breasts. I feel like he had this in- incredible hypersexualization in his female characters that then spread out from that. And I think, right. really, you like at that point or the, the late eighties, the the the, f- the written text mm-hmm. of superhero characters became sexualized by Claremont, but the right. visual text became sexualized by Jim Lee. Mm. And so I think, like between you know. 81 and 91 mm-hmm. you do have a sexual revolution in comics where sure it's still subtext but it's so right. like so much closer to the surface oh yeah so yeah, much yeah, yeah. closer to the surface so it goes from being almost an accidental sexuality mm-hmm. to a very intentional sexuality that they're winking at and pretending isn't there interesting hmm. well that's uh, that is a a, a, a fascinating thesis i have to say i mean there's ways i i think thinking i'm i'm already coming up with contradictions to my own argument 
Yeah, I was about to say. And, and, and Dave, uh, Dave Cockrum had everyone in fucking fetish gear in the seventies. Oh yeah, I mean, well, that's it. Cockrum, Cockrum. I was thinking of, uh, you know, some of the stuff that was going on with with Peter Parker and Mary Jane in Spider Man, where their relationship was very clearly based, was very clearly sexual. Um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm trying to think if there's like well, that's real, that's characters and relationship based, as opposed to just the very portrayal of where you're just saying like just like the one shot sort of snapshot of it is yeah. this. Yeah, strange. It's, it could be. Could be. I'm de- I definitely tend to be really blind to art. I mean, of course, I love Cockrum's work back in the day, and I'm sure if you actually – like, part of me is like, no, I know there were just some crazy, crazy over-the-top, you know, um, exploitation of female characters. But, you know, I think actually, sadly, part of the reason why Claremont ends up being at the front of it is he goes on to create and co-create so many female characters, you know. Yeah. Um, that's but the, the, the thing is also to him. the thing is also so you've got Cockrum um, mm-hmm. putting all these female characters in fetish gear. Yeah, but well, what do you mean by fetish gear? And this is Cockrum you're talking about too. Yeah, so. I guess it's not even fetish gear, but you know, all of a sudden, all the female characters have like cleavage circles, like cleavage windows. Do you know what I mean? Phoenix doesn't end up with a cleavage window, does she? No, but in the Legion of Superheroes, I'm fairly sure it would clip. Oh, okay, you're going back to the Legion. Oh, yeah, oh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going all the way back there. I'm oh, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, no, the Legion is... is uh, See, the Legion actually would poke your, your holes in this, because I think you could actually say that the Legion is even more of some terrifying polygamous... Um, you know, subtextual sea orgy. Yeah, but it's so uh, crazily subtextual in the Legion. I guess what I'm saying is this. With the Legion, the, even though the characters are wearing these incredibly revealing outfits, uh-huh. there's something in their physical portrayal beyond that where not every character is essentially, like, poking their breasts at the reader and standing as if they're in high heels all the time. Whereas with Jim Lee's female characters, they all wear... Mm. Like Moyer McTaggart all of a sudden. <laughs> it's like, hey! Charlie, have you seen my tits? You know, it's just... <laughs> that should be an awesome title for like a four-issue miniseries for her. That would be great. I don't like... But if you think about it, this is all happening as Claremont is in the text hypersexualizing the female characters because the Shadow King is possessing them and making them all kinky. Oh yeah, right, exactly. No, and you actually have characters say things like, I never thought that she'd wear something so revealing. Yes. You know, and all, well, see, all wearing miniskirts all of a sudden, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, tops that leave nothing to the imagination. And it's and the characters are saying, th- like, I can't believe she's wearing that. See, do you <laughs> think that's the difference? Whereas in Legion, even when Cockrum's, like, doing all this stuff, like, everyone's still acting entirely that's what like they're in an old they comic act, book, right? Yes, they act right. normal, quote-unquote. Yes, exactly. Uh, but it is, like, so you have Phantom Girl, you know, wearing what is essentially a ladder of cloth. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Um, and yet, no one really pays attention to it. Yeah, no Somehow one pays attention. Right, exactly. You're like, 
you know, if you're of the age where you're like, oh my god, this is spectacular. I wish Phantom Girl was real because <laughs> Dave Cockrum draws really weird people. Um, you know, <laughs> then you get it. But if you're not of that age, then you don't get it. As opposed to, like, when Claremont and Lee are on X-Men, you can't right. fail to get it. because the Right, because so see, they're underlining I, it. Yes, they're like, oh my god, Mario McTaggart practically had sex with Banshee on the table. What's going on? <laughs> this is really unlike her, and it's happening to everyone. There is not, like, all of a sudden, every single female character is... 28 years old and has a perfect body. Everyone. You know, Mario McTaggart has to have been, you know, in theoretically early 40s and she gets de-aged. Everyone yeah. gets de-aged because mm-hmm. everyone has to, all of a sudden, all the female characters have to have these perfect bodies. Right. These weird swimsuit model figures. Yeah, it's, it's and so yeah, I don't even remember how we got onto the subject. You know, we it was uh, the shadow, the boys, and sexualization of superheroes. So, well done, sir. This actually was... Uh, no, no. I think everyone's going to be... You totally never said anything more about the shadow. You like the shadow. Yeah, see, that's it. I Unfortunately, I don't feel like there's... I felt like uh, Ennis had more respect for the character, had a good take on it, and I also thought his take of the character as being a bit of a... A bit of an aristocratic dick um, sort of served the imperiousness of the character without somehow making him unlikable. I think that there was like Ennis had a certain amount of distance from the character, but a good distance, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know? So for me, I liked it. I don't necessarily know if that's going to end up being a huge recommendation for other people because, for example, Chicken's The Shadow, I did not like. And I you know, a lot of people who adored um, Andy Helfer and Kyle Baker's Shadow, I still haven't read those issues. So I was very much more of a Denny O'Neill, Mike Kaluta slash uh, Gerard Jones, Edward Barato, The Shadow Strikes type. And in that regard, this first issue looks pretty strong, a surprisingly strong mix of actual World War II uh Potential ickiness and and pulp hijinks. I thought it was okay. Okay. What else did you read this week? Seeing as you're not reading Marvel, uh, I I read Batman number eight. Let's hit some owls. Uh, and uh, some owls were hit. Um, I I had some problems with it actually in a way because I was kind of like, um, uh, you know, you, you they really set up this this whole thing where the the first arc in Batman has him sort of being caught tortured and in the end although admittedly he's weakened and crazy barely able to beat one of these guys and then in the course of Batman number 8 he more or less uh dressed in a bathrobe is still able to beat the crap out of about five or six of them but of course now there's dozens and dozens of them so it was still so much better than the first four pages, which looked like it was going to be a Bruce Wayne Winathon. Um, and again, I love Capullo's art. That I just again really enjoyed it, even with the upping to a buck. What was fascinating was the backup story, more or less continues from the very end of the issue, and so it just kind of felt like, wait, what? That's it was like a weird backup issue, but it worked. Uh, Wonder Woman number eight. I think I said I really ended up enjoying it. It felt like felt like Azarello's kind of showing up to it and sort of is trying to write something like maybe 
maybe even overwrite something, which is kind of um, which is kind of weird. But uh, but again, the Cliff Chang art is just fantastic. I'm glad that it's still only two ninety nine, but um, it worked for me. Um, let's see, what else can I cover that I know you wouldn't have read necessarily? I picked up issue two of the Manhattan Projects. Um, even after being pretty blah on the first issue, I'm like, well, I've got the money. I will give it another shot. Hickman, yabbity, yabbity, yabbity. And I ended up not enjoying it. I think they actually, um, they actually, I, I think once again, Hickman has this ability to like set things up and then actually just sort of skip to the denouement without bothering to have any of the messy middle. Um, and that drives me up a wall. At least in this second issue of Manhattan Projects. So, um, let's over to you, Graham. Speed round. Why don't you tell me about a couple of comics that uh, you've read? Uh, Alabaster Wolves, which is the Caitlin Kiernan uh, Steve Lieber book. Did you read oh, that? Interesting. No, not no, I did. Because um, a lot of people, and I want to say David Brothers is the one who led this charge. Uh, we're talking about it online, mostly from the point of view of Steve Lieber's art looks fucking awesome. Uh-huh. Um, and it really does. He's been colored by Rochelle Rosenberg, hmm. um, who is a new colorist for him. Um, this is really funny for me because I was talking to Steve and the editor of this book, Rachel Edidon, at the start of this year. And they were both like, we're working on a project right now. And we've got this new artist and his art looks amazing. It looks nothing like you've ever seen it before. And I remember being like, that'll be great. I'll have to remember to look out for that. And then like a week before this comic came out, people online were like, have you seen Steve Lieber's art? This person's coloring it and it looks amazing. And I was like, oh, it's that comic. Um, uh. It looks spectacular. And mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, the selling point is Steve Lieber's art in this. It, uh, mm-hmm. Caitlin Kiernan, it's a, it's a young adult supernatural comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may mm-hmm. even be based on a novel she's done. Um, the story was not particularly my cup of tea. Right. Um, it's, you know, she's young and ballsy and she's supernatural and hey, comics. Um, <laughs> and, it, it, and it looks great, but it's, it's... Kiernan's always kind of been iffy for me um, I remember reading a lot of her stuff back when she did The Dreaming which was the Sandman quasi sequel oh yeah right yeah, she did um, a good long run on that yeah and so this is kind of the same if you liked The Dreaming uh, you'll probably really like this uh, if you didn't pick it up or pick up the, the Dark Horse free comic book days uh, issues because they'll have parts of this in it um, right. just for the art because it looks lovely mm. it really really does Rochelle Rosenberg's colors are spectacular over Steve Lieber's mm. uh, art oh that's fantastic um, yeah and hopefully this is the one that will make Steve Lieber like famous I mean Steve mm. Lieber is famous but you know what I mean like he's never quite broken through to the part where people are like I will buy a comic just because he's involved and they really should because yes. he's a spectacular artist mm-hmm. uh, and I'd love mm-hmm. it if that's that's the one that that convinces people um saga issue two you must have read that yes right? well yes yeah, see that's it i you tricked me with the what'd you read this week and of course i read it last week but yeah i i, yeah, I, I read it this week i really liked it i think wasn't I'm that just, great i think i'm just down with saga in general i think saga's great well the other thing that amazes amazed me about saga because i really enjoyed it is again it's it's only I want to say twenty two pages, maybe twenty four. Mm-hmm. It feels like an incredibly full book. 
Like, that yeah, he's was, he's packing shit in there again. He he's like, really I like is. It felt almost as busy as the first issue, and it's like half yes. the, half the length. Right, which create which I was like, I'm like, this is crazy that it feels this this packed with stuff. Like, it got to the whole sequence where the the bounty hunter shows up and sort of, you know, you see her holding all of her guns and her legs or something like that, and she's like, I know a thing or two about this game, and I'm like, okay, this is already an incredibly full issue and then it went on for like another five pages and i was like holy shit you know it it i really was knocked out um i'm i'm definitely on the the saga train like yeah it, it's just and the other thing is it's really packed without it feel you don't feel like he's sweating at all no wonderfully no, 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 no. exactly exactly you know i i at at the risk of coming off so incredibly bitchy the difference between you know brian k vaughn who's actually written movie scripts and worked a couple of seasons on tv and brian bendis who has written just a lot of comics feels so different to me like I really am impressed at how much Vaughn is able to set things up get them moving and move on to the next scene and it and it literally feels it doesn't feel like the old super jammed um, I'm going to you know every page is packed full of captions storytelling but it doesn't feel you know it feels full and satisfying at the same time like you get a three page scene that tells you the things you want to know and is able to convey stuff about the characters and then and and even move push things a little forward on the board and jump away and it's like it's a it's practically a lost fucking art at this point the know? other thing so the other thing i really yes. like about saga is fiona staples art is great yeah i thought this issue was much stronger than the first issue actually. really i actually thought this issue was weaker than the first issue but i still did. <laughs> Uh, well, I do think that, um, yeah, I think it was good. Uh, you know, she's coloring her own work, which really helps, though. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's just, I think she's doing a phenomenal job on, on her colors and everything. But Yeah, uh, no, it, it no, just it, looks really, really, really good. Yeah, exactly. It looks stronger well. to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She, she can really get her ca- characters acting. Yeah, her character acting is actually really good. I actually think that suits her better than... Because she's got some stuff with uh, dimensionality, actually. I think that's part of why I preferred this issue to the first issue. Is on the first issue, some of her vistas and panoramas felt weak, I think. And this issue, I feel like she actually dodged those and used color to set a feeling of place. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think think she, she learned how to cover her ass better on the second issue. So I thought it was good. Did you read the uh, second issue of Saucer Country? I did not. I actually, again, I completely forgot that book existed. Crap, McMillan! I know, because I love the first issue so much. It's I know! It's, oh I've, I've done this before with other comics. I, when I'm in the store, mm-hmm. I forget about them, and I come home, and literally, like, I get home, and I'm like, oh, motherfucker! <laughs> yeah. So I didn't. Is it good? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, then let me read it this week. I don't get back to you next yeah. week. About it. Get, get back to me. I, um, I thought, I, yeah, I thought some things were better and other things were kind of worse, I guess. I've so. told you before just how much I loved the Bionic Woman, right? No, I don't think you did. Holy motherfucking shit. I, I, 
the Bionicle. Didn't it just come out a few weeks ago, though? Came, right? came out like came out last week, but I could have yeah. sworn I actually emailed you. What? Oh, that might have been one one of the many emails that we haven't seen from each other. Man, uh, I sure hope not. The Bionic Woman, honest to God, reads to me like if Gingerbread Girl was an action comic. Wow. And because of that, I fucking love it. I wow. fucking loved it. <laughs> I, I, it no, but it's, it's one of those things where you're like, I'll probably like this. And then you read it and you like it so much more. And it's such a surprise that you can't quite get over it. And you're like, what? This comic's yeah. great. What? This, this is the fucking Bionic Woman. This shouldn't be good. Oh! And that, it was, that really was my reaction. I was like, this is like Gingerbread Girl. This reads like the same Paul Tobin that wrote Gingerbread Girl in a way that none of his Marvel work did. Mm, mm. And so that goes a long way for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and the last thing I read this week, Archie meets Kiss. Wow. The whole trade or whatever? Yeah, yeah, I got mailed the trade. <laughs> oh, you got mailed the trade. Graham McMillan. I, you know, I, I should really start emailing some of these people and be like, put me on your comp list so Graham and I can at least talk about the same books. Um, <laughs> Plus, I too could read Archie Meets Kiss. Um, yes. It's, it's exactly what you'd expect from the from the title. I don't know what I would expect from that title, though, weirdly. Well, Arch, Archie and Kiss meet. Okay. For you, but they meet. It's actually like, it's one of those things where it's actually kind of wonderful in its shamelessness. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. is um, Archie and his friends have like a supernatural club, of course, because you know why wouldn't they? Yes, and, exactly. And Sabrina the Teenage Witch is a member of the supernatural club, of course. Mm-hmm. It's, she's an arch character. She is trying to save the world from potentially evil things. Mm-hmm. Uh, she manages to piss off Veronica in the process. Veronica then tries to cast a spell. No, that's not true. She tries to fix Sabrina the Teenage Witch's spell and then mm-hmm. so opens a portal that allows demons into the world that are then chased by the members of KISS who are there to save the world from the demons. <laughs> Interesting. Um, that sounds actually really fun. Oh my god, I'm yeah, looking at this. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Like, it's, it's weirdly fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I but what makes it more fun for me is mm-hmm. um, so kiss get, kiss are going to save the world through rock and roll because they're kiss. Kiss get captured, and so it's up to the Archies to rock out and save the world. See, that's what I was hoping. I was hoping there would at least be, a, if not a band contest between the two of them, that the Archies band thing would. Do they cover Beth? Do they say? Do they end up covering a Kiss song in order to save the world, or no? If only I knew Kiss more. I would be able to tell you. Hang on. Uh, no, they sing a song called Riverdale Rock City. Oh, yeah. That's one of Kisses. Riverdale? I'm kidding. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I was just being a jerk. Um, however, I am looking forward to the sequel that has been announced, Archie versus Kiss, which is coming yes. out here, which, Archie, you're kind of fucking hilarious. <laughs> Archie has reached a great, has really hit an amazing peak in their shamelessness. I really wish the books of theirs that I wanted to read were a little less expensive on Comixology, so I would, because I would actually get some of them. You know, it's not two dollars. The all the stuff that isn't tied to like just their just their regular issues are yes, but the 
Archie marries Veronica or Archie marries Betty are each three ninety nine a pop. The oh, yeah, the, but they're also, the, they're also double sized. That's that's what you've got to. Oh, is it? Oh, well, maybe I should look into that. Yeah, because some of the Archie verse, some of the Archie verse stuff. This, in fact, the stuff with the literal Archie verse, which I want to read, uh, all looked kind of pricey. So I was I was kind of not not quite on board there, but but I really am impressed that they're. I can't wait to see their Occupy Riverdale issue. That should be that should just be awesome. Or, or the one where Archie, Betty, and Veronica all change genders. <laughs> that also looked brilliant. I'm like, dude. I hope they. I hope orders are high enough on that that they they swap that into a series. I think that would be great. Archina. Yeah, I just I, I, love I know. That. I love that they couldn't even come up with like a real name. They're like Archina, whatever, fine. Yeah, <laughs> I just get, ship off the cover art. Let's go. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, it is, it is, it is. Um, it's both entertaining and a little sad that it's sort of shameless for shamelessness's sake. It's it feels like to me, but I haven't actually read the issue, so I don't. I don't. I don't it probably will be because Archie meets case at no point does not feel shameless. <laughs> Which face it in a way you'd be kind of surprised. Oh no, no, that's just it. Like you kind of love it more because of that. You're kind of like this is really, really, really kind of exploitative and just cashing. <laughs> and why shouldn't it? It's Archie meets kiss. Do you know what I mean? It's like if you if you're right. trying for high art with this, you're probably going wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Did you read um, Prophet issue twenty four? Probably not, since you didn't. No, no, right? I almost, I almost picked it up because of the Feral Dalrymple stuff. Yeah, which is great. I have to say, like Dalrymple stuff here, like working in this kind of, you know, I'm always used to his stuff being kind of, um, I don't know, sort of sloppily organic. I suppose, you know, for for lack of a better descriptor. Um, and it was really interesting seeing him do this issue of Profit where every, where his art looked so much tighter to me. Um, admittedly, there's a lot where the the colors, you know, bring a lot of consistency, I think, with the previous issues on it, along with the scripting. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it, because you didn't really care for the other issues, I don't think that you would care for this issue. I still enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, despite feeling like it had a certain, um, like the way that you felt about Casanova number three, arguably I felt about Prophet issue twenty four, but it still had enough, like for lack of a better expression, enough cool shit in it to keep me keep me excited and reading. Mm-hmm. So, not some not something I can recommend for Graham, but for the re- readers and listeners out there who have not picked up Prophet. Do take the time to hunt it up. Also, speaking of which, did you know that that King City is only like twelve ninety nine digitally on Comicsology? I do. I actually saw that earlier on. I was also looking at the Comicsology. Felix, the Comicsology popular page. Hmm. Mm, interesting. I didn't know that there was Comicsology's Comics, popular page. will tell you two things. One, Saga is the top selling comic in Comicsology, which is great. Wow. Yes. Two, and this is my favorite fact, Avengers vs. X-Men issue one is outsold by all five issues of DC's Zero Hour from 1994. <laughs> but to be fair, there is there is price manipulation going on there. I was going to say, there's got to be some sort of weird like sale or something going on, right? Yeah. Yeah, there was a Zero Hour sale that was this last weekend, I think, I want to say. Um, so... Because I actually ended up buying, um, 
the oh, we, Jeff, the friends? Sandman issues. Okay, because friends don't let friends by zero hour. Exactly. Well, once again, uh, co-enabler Matt Turrell gave me the heads up that they had like six issues of Sandman in there, and I was like, "What? Get, oh, I, get I, out!" I that email. I will actually answer your question, which I never got around to because I was dying as a flu when that email was sent. Which is, I th- yes, yes, World's End was supposed to be tenuously tied into Zero Hour, but that yeah. is like that's entirely an invention of DC's marketing at the time. Mm, yeah. Yeah, there's that whole thing where they you just from reading the descriptions of the of the issues where it's like as the reality storm happens, you know, it's like okay, yes, fine. But that but that's not a brand new thing. Like DC yeah. tried that at the time. At the time, exactly. So I'm in, on the Comicsology page. Where do I find this popular that you talk about? Uh, I saw it on the app, but it, it was definitely oh just, damn it, okay, it definitely just it to the app. there. It was it was like at the top of this page. It was one of the the tabs. We'll see. I, it's I'll jump because for whatever reason I was like, oh well, Graham's surely not talking about the app. He's talking about the web page, but no, Graham was definitely talking about the app. I'll be damned. Yeah, popular right there. Okay. Uh, now, of course, it's Smallville Season 11, Avengers vs. X-Men number 2, Walking Dead Issue 96, uh, what? Batman Small- Issue 8. Smallville Season 11 is still outselling Avengers vs. X-Men? Uh, yes, but it's also 99 cents an issue. Nonetheless, so I'm really surprised. Price point there. Well, it is it is pretty interesting. Uh, I am, although I'm honestly it, waiting for the moment where uh, Marvel realized that if they lower their digital prices, they'll sell more. Well, but here's the other thing that I was going to point out with Avengers versus X Men is at a three ninety nine issue, you get an automatic free digital copy. You know what I mean? So that's the other thing. Is like if I would think that unless you don't have a comic store, like the for the same price, you get the print copy and a free digital copy, as opposed to paying this price for just the digital. Um, I, I think it makes sense that that you can sell more copies of Smallville as a digital only comic at that point, you know. Um, but I could be wrong. Anyway, then it's Saga number two. Then it's all those zero hour issues. Well, not all of them actually. It's issue zero, issue one, and issue four. Then you've got Justice League number eight and Wolverine and the X Men versus number nine. Eh. It's uh, it's interesting. Wow, this top. I'm going to start looking. I'm going to bookmark this this top paid app thing and start looking at it all the time. This is really fascinating. Saga. Both issues of Saga are in the top twenty five, which, which is, is great, great, right? Yeah, seriously. I, you know. Yeah, I, I was very happy to see that the other day. You also have the first five issues of Ultimates outselling it, but you know, I'm uh, again. You assume there was a sale, so I don't know. Maybe the kids Funky. just like the. To be fair, Ultimates is the um, Avengers movie. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. So I can see where there's some. <laughs> I was going to say digital speculation, but that was just me being. I read I read issue ninety six of Walking Dead, and as sometimes happens with um, Kirkman when he's going for the well, I can totally tell I'm wrapping up a tr- you know a, a trade paperback and or an omnibus. You know it it's it's amusingly um, overblown and preachy at the end, but uh, so you would have really not liked it, but it was okay. Um, I think I told you that after that one issue of Glamour Plus, I picked up two previous the two previous issues of Glamour 
glamour pie? I don't know. And <laughs> oh my God, I, Graham, at some point I'm going to mail these issues to you so you can read them and we can talk about them. Are, are they is... spectacular? Like, are you completely sold in this series? I, well, I don't know. That's actually a good question because as um, some brave soul uh, on the on our comments thread, who I can't remember, I'm tempted to say Chris Hero, but it could be wrong, pointed out that Issue 24 of Glamour Puss, what I thought was a, the self-contained, amazing last ride of Alex Raymond, was in fact just part of this ongoing essay slash speculative fiction about Alex Raymond and the, the masters of photorealistic art. So in issues 23, 22 and 23, the setup to the sequence that I read in 24 that knocked me off my ass... Um, are gorgeous, but not somehow quite as brilliantly um, over the top as that is. On the other hand, the whole thing that he's doing in the front of the book, the whole Zutanipus stuff, I really want to talk with you about it because I feel like you can just spend hours, I mean countless hours speculating about what Dave Sim is trying to do with a series of like Let's see, how many pages does he go on with this? Ten, two, one, two, four. This is the things that I should really do, learn how to count before I actually get on the phone with six, eight. Yeah, ten pages of single-page strips about a woman dressed approximately like Zatanna with a bunny who spends a lot of time ranting and raving uh, against um, high-fashion models and I just can I cannot wrap my brain around it. I cannot. I honestly think my current theory is that Dave Sim is trying to come up with a way to bring fans back to his comics by kind of going, "Hey, look at me! I'm Dave Sim. You've heard of me as crazy, but I'm actually <laughs> much crazier than you thought." Well, he's actually playing it down like, here, I'm actually telling a story about an empowered hero, female hero who's fighting against the forces of skinny model bitches who are ruining things for womanhood everywhere. Check me out, you know? It's, in other words, it's, it's the kind of pandering that once a crazy person does it is um, spellbinding. It's like just spellbinding pandering of like like I've I've not quite seen. It's like having a guy uh, try and convince you to trade your wallet for his um, uh, his rope that actually was previously holding up his pants, and now his pants are around his ankle, and, and he's still holding out this rope for you to take in exchange for your wallet, kind of thing. It's 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 markedly odd. It's it's that, that is the greatest. I was about to say it's, it's more odd than my metaphor is, which is really saying something. I, I have to apologize. Like I'm like, where am I? Where is this coming from, Jeff? I don't I don't know. Where's it coming from? Where's it going? It, all of those questions. I know it really was. I was like, I am in a lonely place <laughs> with my metaphor. Um, yeah. So crossed, which you won't read. Haunt. Saucer Country, which you didn't pick up. I was so sure we'd be talking about Saucer Country. I, I honestly said. forgot it existed. Well, so did I. I'm I getting old. It, so. I'm getting old. Yeah. Getting old, my friend. 
Uh, is there anything else we should cover in the next ten minutes or so? No, I, I think we may actually be done. But I have a I have a question, Mister. Sure. Um, our our listeners were quite upset with us for not posting a, a podcast this week. Uh, should we try and make it up to them by asking for their questions for the next episode, and then proceeding as we do to answer maybe ten percent of their questions? Yes. Yeah. I think what we should do is uh, put open a call for people to uh, start asking us questions. I guess we'll do that like when we post this podcast so people can just add into that comment and then we'll also like remind everyone on Twitter. Yeah, I think that's 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 the way to do it. I think if we generally ask questions like a couple of days before we record, that that always seems to work out. Yeah, I think so. A couple of days out uh, seems good. Uh, it, although last time it was, <laughs> it was kind of terrifying. Like there's got to be a window that works for us, and I think two to three days is about right. So yeah, let's do that, and then God help me, we will shamelessly answer questions. Although, uh, yeah, Shame- I, I was like, we answer questions. We'll see. Because last time, remember, we really it took us like four weeks to get through. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Hopefully we will do a better job. But yeah, I think somebody actually recently in one of the threads was like, hey, are you guys going to do another Q&A? And I'm like, again, like people have actually recovered from from the last one. Okay, sure. Have we recovered is the question. I think we have. I I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure we have because frankly, I'm like, oh, what in the name of God can we have anyone talk to? Oh, I know. Here's something that I can mention very quickly in 10 minutes, by the way. Uh, I saw the Raid Redemption twice. I think I don't think I saw saw it the first time when you and I were talking. Um, And I also saw The Cabin in the Woods, which... How is The Cabin in the Woods, which I I keep reading reviews of. They're like, we can't spoil it, but you should see it. You know, I totally see why they're why they're saying that. Uh, um, it's good. I actually I I enjoyed it. I know that some people, including Sean Witzke, who I respect tremendously, thought that it thought very little of it, but I enjoyed it. It ended up being better than I expected it to be, and more more entertaining. Uh, and interestingly enough, to me, it was like a really good mix of. Joss Whedon e things and Drew Goddardy things. Like I don't actually have tons of experience with Drew Goddard. Uh, I was gonna say, you know, are they are they significantly different? They're 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 very simpatico. But I mean, having seen Cloverfield, I kind of feel that there's some things that uh, Goddard does a little bit differently. I think, and I feel that it's sort of. Um, what I like about it is I feel that it mutes some of Whedon's more Whedon-y uh, tendencies, um, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. In that I feel like, although this, although I think that you know the 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 movie's just chock full of meta as it goes on, it is not. It's not quite the fully super annoying meta that Joss Whedon I think sometimes slips into. Um, I feel that, you know, again, his kids, uh, that, you know, because there's a young cast in it, um, that his young cast, although they're not especially deep characters, they nonetheless don't necessarily feel like the, again, the sort of Whedon-esque sort of punchline machines that you would expect nearly as much. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, I feel that, as somebody pointed out, these 
the stuff that's going on in the cabin cabin in the woods is actually stuff that is that Whedon has been kind of obsessively fixating on since at least season four of Buffy, and this may be the first time that he's actually come really close to to getting it right. Also, there's just some fantastic um, Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford pretty much make the movie worth seeing, uh, even at the the you know. I mean, in in a perfect world, I ended up seeing this as a you know six dollar bargain matinee, and then I snuck into a second screening of the Raid right afterwards, and I had a fantastic afternoon. I can't imagine anyone's going to be able to top that viewing experience. But if you see, if you manage to see uh, the Cabin in the Woods in a, as a bar- bargain matinee, uh, I'd be really curious to know what you'd think. It doesn't feel altogether like a Graham type thing, but I think that you would enjoy it enough that you would st- still be glad you saw it. Okay, I'm I'm yeah. interested enough that if you know if it shows up at the Baghdad or something for for cheap, I'll probably take exactly. It. Yeah, I think that would be almost like perfect conditions under which to see it. Because you know, if it's three dollars and you get a pizza as well. Really? That, that's it's hard to not enjoy a movie. Son of a bitch, man! If you guys didn't have the influenza up there, I swear <laughs> to God, I would a be living in Portland and b I would weigh four hundred and fifty pounds. So <laughs> no, it's three dollars, and you have to pay for pizza separately. You don't get a movie no, pizza know, for three dollars. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> God, can I you imagine? Be able to I, I would just be living in the five just just as long as they've got free Wi-Fi there so you can actually continue to post stuff, you'll be like set. Everything uh, will be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I know you don't particularly like movies where people kick one another in the head, but oh my God, for the people out there who like martial arts films who have not seen The Raid Redemption, go goddamn see that movie. It's really good. It's really good. Sorry, Graham. I, I can go back to talking like I'm talking to you now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, ladies and gentlemen, we've given you two and a half hours of podcast. Yeah, pretty solidly. So um, we're and going we to jump like, now. Just randomly talk shit for a while. I mean, we kind of did about the influenza, but not that mm-hmm. long, really. So no, no, exactly. Lord, we 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 we've given you full on comics craziness with me talking about the hypersexuality of Jim Lee, uh, and yeah, I hope you enjoy it, listeners. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. it you're, Graham's not shaking his fist when he says that, but I, but I am. So, Let's all right, listen. <laughs> that was actually really good, Graham. I'm very impressed. Uh, <laughs> did Did you wish to sing us out? I don't know how. Oh, yes, right. Um, oh, re- I, really annoyingly, I yesterday thought of the song that I had to sing, and I can't remember what it was. Oh no, really? Oh, you know what? You know what it was, and it's not going to happen because my voice is actually getting back to normal. Um, uh-huh. Yesterday, Kate and I were out for breakfast, and I had a really sore throat, so my voice was really deep. Mm-hmm. And they played a weirdly um, middle of the road version of Ring of Fire, <laughs> like a really jaunty version of Ring of Fire <laughs> that I was singing along with as if I was Johnny Cash because my voice was oh my seriously deep. Uh, and I was, go- I was like, I should totally sing Ring of Fire, but <laughs> with no, you know, no warning whatsoever. <laughs> like Jeff calls. Yes. I just do a ring of fire and I've ruined it because I've told you now obviously but maybe one day if my voice goes again I will do a ring of fire for you I totally will uh, I will do my best to forget so that that happens soon because that sounds fantastic (laughs) (laughs) burns burns Jeff (laughs) 
<laughs> Bye, listeners. Ta-ta. Bye. <laughs> Did you wave? Because I totally waved. <laughs> I did not wave. I'll wave now. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm waving again. Okay. I should really play that. I should screen catch that just so people can see me actually wave like a dumb motherfucker at my computer. <laughs>